This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. The third lethal weapon, the second Star Wars, and the one and only battleship this week on 302010. Hello everyone and welcome to 302010, the LaserTime Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a little journey 30, 20, and 10 years ago into the past, celebrating the best anniversaries of movies, TV, music, and so very much more. Hi! I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista, who also is with me this week. The Long Island Lolita, Diana Goodman. <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawls, and Close is a lingerie shop without a front window. What does that mean? I don't understand yet, but we'll get to it. Welcome to 302010, where we look at a single week uh, in history, 30, 20, and 10 years ago. It's a journey through the decades. So this week is May 13th to the 19th, and we'll be looking back at 1992. 2002 and 2012 all the cool stuff that came out in those periods 30 20 and 10 years ago thank you so much for listening thanks so much for being patreon supporters at patreon.com slash laser time jr and i have a new listener feedback show in the can it was super fun to do i love adds shows like that that just involve other people's anecdotes also we're going to talk about star wars in this episode and i created sick of star wars because i was sick of talking about star wars <laughs> And was just like, You'll we got to escape it, Chris. I want to do it one last never. time. Oh, and, and just, oh, what, a, what a, the most sickening times in Star Wars history we also have to talk about. But, and mm. one of the best. Yeah, you think so? I'm going to, th- I'm going to throw it out there. All right, all right, all right. Cannot wait. Mm. Cannot wait. This is a tease. And I also believe JR is turning, you know, having a. I, I'm turning something. Yeah, having a birthday. You're, you're, this is your birthday week. So I yep. wonder if you have any anecdotes related to seeing any of these movies with, like, a little hat I do. on. I'll, I'll get to it on yeah. uh, Attack of the Clones, but mm. that was. I saw it on my birthday. All right. Mm. Guessed it. I guessed it. Let's get into it. May 13th through 19th, 1992. A little bit of news to bring you into what's happening. Oh, God. The Hongzi. Am I saying that right? Gives first public lecture on his kooky new religion, Falun Gong. Falun Mm -hmm. Gong. So it was to a crowd of a whole whopping 100 people. That's all it started as. And then six years later, the Chinese Communist Party was claiming that there were 100 million members of it in China. So according to the CCP, it Uh. increased literally... A million times its original <laughs> level in six years. And if you can't trust a communist government, who can you trust? Yeah, come on. But uh, the odd thing yeah. is, originally, the CCP supported the Fulong Gong. They thought mm-hmm. it was a good organization. They were trying to do exercises to keep China healthy because there's a lot of health problems in China. And then there was a change of leadership of the CCP, and it was a internal political maneuver looking for scapegoats. And guess what? Mm. Being a minority in a tyranny not usually a great position especially a religious one in a communist country yeah not big on religious movements especially new ones focused on a guy um usually we 
tend to think of those as cults. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's like I was reading into Falun Gong's teachings and it's like, okay, it's, you know, Taoist stuff. Sure, I, I got it and all that. But then, well, if you live in a major city, Shenyun, that's how you know Falun Gong. You know, those fucking posters everywhere for Shenyun, a journey through China before communism, because uh, now they've largely moved to the U.S. They run a extremely right wing newspaper called the Epoch Times that is very influential on the right because they hate communism, because of course they do, because communists crack down on them. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, Falun Gong is it's a rabbit hole to go down if you try to understand it. I just don't trust religious movements with lots of money and like one or two guys in charge. No. Look at you, Pope. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And right now, during this period of history, polls are showing Perot, Bush, and Clinton are in a kind of a deadlock. That was a political earthquake. The third party candidate has been a joke for most of American history. Mm -hmm. And to have a poll eight months before the election saying it's a three-way tie was mm. just a wow guys this is huge wow clinton's yeah. gonna win our, <laughs> our system's not really set up for that the electoral college is not really set up for more than two guys yeah yeah and i think uh perot another kooky white <laughs> white dude appealing to kooky old white people just paved the way for a clinton victory we'll we'll get to his insanity mm. but i think <laughs> if perot had been you know general levels sane Mm-hmm. I think he could have won. We'll mm-hmm. we'll talk about the mistakes he made, but the given the climate in 1992, it, I think he lost it by being uh, kooky, kooky. Yeah, it was kooky. it wasn't fringe. I remember the like because I'm just coming to light here as a little kid, and like it it looked it looked even. Like when you looked at yeah. yard signs and bumper stickers, it, it, Perot wasn't. This fringe. was the first election I actually followed and was aware of and we had school projects we drew electoral maps to try to understand the electoral system and yeah oh my god so many kids in school dressed like Ross Perot for like Halloween for big years oh and then even more uh, let's get into the (laughs) shit news but it is 1992 wrapped up with a little bow the next couple stories if you thought the previous story was two Letterman monologue (laughs) we have Amy Fisher, 17, shoots Mary Jo Buttafuoco in the face over an affair with her husband. God oh. damn this fucking story. So yeah, this... they called her the Long Island Lolita, which mm-hmm. is appropriate because Lolita is a victim. Mm. Yeah, so a teenager, she was 16 when they first started hooking up with this guy named Joey Buttafuoco who ran an auto body shop and he was like 35. He started encouraging her to become an escort. He's fucking gross and a creep and she alleges that he said, I want to get rid of my wife. Mm. And she decided to do that yeah. for him. Yes, but she also alleges that he never said, Amy, please go kill my wife. It was always like, oh, it would so be good if I could get rid of her. It would be great mm. if she was gone. Who will rid me of this troublesome priest? Right. So, yeah, he, she goes to her door and starts saying, like, my fictional sister is having an affair with your husband. And she's like, I don't believe you. And then she pulls a gun that she got from a friend and shoots her in the head. And she lives. Yeah, that's... Yeah. And Amy is on record as saying that she went there with the intention of killing Mary Jo. Mm. But that when the actual struggle happened, she wasn't trying to kill her at that exact moment. Uh, Sure. Had more sinister plans, wasn't done with her monologue. Her defense was that she was just trying to hit her with the gun and the gun went 
off. But if you go to someone's house with the intention of killing them, yeah. pull out a gun, and then begin hitting them with the gun, I don't know. It, it, it sounds like attempted murder to me, but come on. I mean, do they give a prize for attempted chemistry? <laughs> yeah. So she, oh my God. So yeah, the tabloids just blew up with this because it's just so trashy and so fucking weird. But yeah, everyone. Originally, it didn't blow up. It, right. it, took, it took a, a little couple... while. It took a little while to percolate. It was just like, okay, this is something that happens in New York because it's so violent. And then once the trashiness onion layer because it's just <laughs> every time you think this story can't get more trashy it, it does it's like oh uh she wasn't just sleeping with a married man she also became a call girl and he probably got her into that business and she was bragging about how awesome it is to be a call girl because she got a beeper and she got mm. to eat at restaurants with linen napkins like that uh. was really something that just wowed her that a married man took this high school student to restaurants with napkins. <laughs> I, I, I have a theory on why this also blew up after a while. Mm. I'm not one to make fun of Italian last names. But oh, do you absolutely do no, you remember do yeah. you remember when you first heard or read that like you either laugh and like there's no way that's that person's real name. That cannot be that because it looked it looked like we just had a free and easy legal way to say anal sex on every paper and every late night monologue. Butterfuko. I, I think yeah. Letterman would, that would just be like his number one on top. It's just Butterfuko, Butterfuko, Butterfuko. It was fun to say. It was hilarious a song, to to. I think. He made yeah. a song about it? Yes. It, it's just such a silly. How does someone really have that name? It looks, <laughs> it seems like how Italian people would tease gay people. But I, I yes, it, it's, it's still a hilarious name and I can't believe it exists. And this, yeah. this, I cannot believe Amy Fisher would then go on to be played by two alumnus from Poison Ivy movies. There are three Amy Fisher movies that will come out within six days of each other. Wow. Two of them air at the same night at the same time. Wow. We'll, we'll discuss that when that happens. But holy F, was this huge. I really feel like this was, for me at least, it was the awakening of the trial of the century. Because mm. this is when I really was starting to pay attention to news and this followed by tanya harney bobbitt followed by <laughs> lorena bobbitt and mm -hmm. then the like grand slam home run that will never be topped oj simpson was just like wow all these criminals are becoming celebrities like mm -hmm. that was not in my brain before and i don't feel like it happens recently i don't know the equivalent of amy fisher or lorena bobbitt in the last 10 years well, they all were in the trump cabinet <laughs> Zing! Thank you very Zing. much. Yeah. <laughs> Amy got sentenced, uh, yeah. a reduced sentence. Uh, yeah. She served some years. And then Mary Jo ended up testifying on her behalf, wow. asking the judge for leniency, which is an incredible person. I, I don't think I could do that to someone who paralyzed me because she suffered permanent damage from this attack and she gets lost in this because joey is a complete scumbag amy did shoot someone as a teenager but as far as i tell mary joe is just this sweet lady who married a borderline sociopath and believed <laughs> him for too long and it's really sad that she just kind of gets forgotten in all of this honestly mm. after serving her time uh, amy fisher got out and then ended up becoming a stripper and yeah. then a porn star. Mm -hmm. And then she and Joey 
had a reality TV show oh, where God. they got back together. Oh, and God. it is ridiculously awkward. You can tell that neither of them wants to do this for anything but the money. I don't know if I could cringe harder. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate that she was originally charged with first degree murder and only got well, like first degree felonious assault or something. She did seven years for yeah. shooting a woman in the head, which is damn. I mean, but yeah. there were kind of mitigating circumstances. Mm -hmm. She was underage and yeah. And, and, uh, she's a victim of abuse, but yeah. And then like eventually like her husband sold a sex tape of them and she had to sue the porn company. And it's like, what the hell other life can she have though? It's like sex work seems yeah. like the easiest place to go, but I just feel like that's just reinforcing the, the narrative that she's like a seductress. Uh, it's like, like dude, my, yeah. she was an awkward ass teenager. Like my lady's yeah, dangerous. I, I did look into it. Joey Buttafuoco did serve time for statutory rape and what? he slept with her six weeks before she was legally of age in the state. Oh. And to me, again, he's a total scumbag, but wouldn't you think you could wait six <laughs> weeks to like avoid a major crime? No. Difficult nope. to remember a time without internet porn. I just can't remember. It's it's a really weird story, honestly, and it's, <laughs> it's weird that it became. It's uh, a pre it's a, a it's a precursor for what would dominate Saturday Night Live for like the next three or four years. My favorite oh, period yeah. of SNL. I think there's an episode where just every single sketch is a Joey Buttafuoco sketch. Joey Buttafuoco over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's one on Living Color. You could just tell the delight of saying Buttafuoco on television. It's so silly. Carrie playing Joey Buttafuoco is pretty hilarious, honestly. What but, the yeah. fuck? How do you even? How do you even immigrate over here with a name like that and not change it? Holy shit! Uh, I'm Joey Butters. But. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it but the final thing is, and I was debating whether I was going to do this or not. Oh, um, yes, do it. Yeah, I know. Okay. Do it. This is not a story I'm telling because, oh, my God, look how cool JR is from this story. This is, oh, my God, JR is such a fucking idiot from this story. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or working right. too David hard. On... Amy Fisher, got it. No, no, it's it, working too hard right. on behalf of the show. I've, I, I, I got a preview of this. I just can't wait to see Diana's reaction. Uh-oh. I talked with Amy Fisher on Monday. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did you line that up, JR? Well, I Googled Amy Fisher for this story. And Amy Fisher is still currently working as a professional cam person. I have okay. actually never done a cam girl experience in my life. And for this show, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm serious here. I haven't done it. I okay. so I decided I am going to try out a cam girl experience and try to talk with Amy Fisher and I was like I'm going to uh, respect her I'm not going to ask her about the shooting I'm just going to try to be a gentleman and and talk to her as one human being to another Nice boobies so, ma'am Okay good I was about to start yelling at you of like <laughs> she's yeah. had a bad 30 years she doesn't need yeah. to be reminded so I, I sign up for the cam service. I, I pay the fee to talk to her privately. It pops up. She says, hello. I say hello. And she says, uh, so why aren't you naked? And I'm just <laughs> dressed fully in my normal uh, kind of suit ish outfit, uh, looking like I'm going in for a job interview. Basically. The opposite reaction 
every male female interaction has come across me to has told us not to do why aren't you naked and, and jerking and, uh, off right now i barely know you and uh she's like well what are you into and i i just go well i just really wanted to find out uh how your day has been deer in headlight look like <laughs> have you ever there's an snl skit where a guy hires a clown to be <laughs> a performer for his private birthday party with no kids around. Mm -hmm. And the clown is just like, what is this? I don't know what's going on. This is so weird. And that's exactly- there, There's no protocol they, for whatever this is, I believe is that's, the line. That's, that's <laughs> what the vibe was. I was getting from Amy Fisher as I tried to talk to her about her day. What fun things do you like to do? Do you have any hobbies? Then she started asking about me. Because And she was floundering. And this is like the most awkward conversation I have had in 20 years, easily. Did, did you and get the impression that you're the only person to have done this? Yes, okay. 100%. I don't think anyone else has. I mean, I bet she gets people going like, you know, doing gross things. But sure. just trying to talk to her. Uh, uh, as if we had met in a cafe over coffee. I mean, you would, yeah, you would, 100%. You would think that I would make someone that's... unflappable, but like obviously this is a unique circumstance and yeah. not part of and, the protocol. And then she she starts floundering and starts asking me about my day, you know, like holding a dildo in her hand, just kind of setting it to the side because she's not using it. And <laughs> uh, I, I, I just start saying, yeah, I'm recovering from surgery. Oh, what are you doing later today? Oh, well, I'm preparing for my podcast. Shields up. Like, mm. the second the podcast word came out of my mouth, she was just like, I'm not doing anything. No, no, no. I didn't mean to imply. I, I'm You signed up for a sex service, sir. <laughs> I am here to do sex for you, and I'm not going to answer any questions. I wasn't going to ask any. I am not going to do anything. This is for sex. Hang up. Man. And then she, she, yeah. she cut me off. It's... So, yeah. I don't blame her. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't blame her either. Again, people this coming to my job and asking me questions. <laughs> and, and, and and it goes to show you something about tabloid coverage of that period where like she could do something seemingly as vulnerable as sex work. But like, I don't want to fucking talk about this anymore. Yeah. Like, look at my I asshole. I not asking her about it. I swear I wasn't, no, but no, no, I, I completely I, understand the reaction. I, yep. well, I got to tell you, you can't expense that. <laughs> um, but, but <laughs> oh my god it's just what a fucking crazy story i'm so glad you told that here oh maybe don't do anything like that again <laughs> and i don't know what situation we'd be in for that maybe i don't know how's jake lloyd doing he's not on one of those things is he Ooh. um <laughs> um anyway i, I want to send her like a like a 20 dollar coffee gift card now <laughs> like, here you go i mean she, she to get paid for her time yeah, she, she mm -hmm. got paid. Oh, okay. And uh, last news story, because I saw this too and did want to bring it up, even though nothing's going to compare to the previous segment. U.S. Vice President Dan Quill attacks Murphy Brown uh, for being a single mother and a poor example of family values. Literally blamed her and her show in that episode for the corruption of the American Institution of Families. I want right. to give context for this. Mm -hmm. This came on the heels of the Rodney King riots. Mm -hmm. Okay. Dan Quayle gave a 40-minute speech about the L.A. riots. Mm -hmm. Okay. At the very end of that speech... For less than 30 seconds, he talks about Murphy Brown because the speech is about family, uh, what is going on with the black community, and everyone focuses on the Murphy Brown aspect. And he had never seen 
Murphy Brown. No. He, no, he just mm. heard about it and he threw it in. I guarantee you, he never intended the Murphy Brown segment to be a huge thing. Imagine if during the BLM protest, mm -hmm. uh, someone was just trying to connect with voters and had said in a speech 40 minutes long about the BLM protest how it isn't good that the game Animal Crossing shows Tom Nook giving predatory loans to people and then moved on. I don't care for young Sheldon. forgot about the BLM <laughs> protest and started talking about uh, student loan debt and if Tom Nook is a good or a bad role model. And as someone who has bought houses, I would do so much to get Tom Nook as my banker. Oh, I yeah. mean, ridiculous. <laughs> you give me the bells bad, when you got him. That stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, ju but just imagine if that had happened, because that's what did happen with Dan Quayle's 30 seconds clip out of a 40 minute speech. And I, but, I, I mean, just because Dan Quayle seems so dim and so out of touch, he's maybe the only person worse than President H.W. Bush to talk about the black community and connecting with them. Yes. Right. And uh, I mean, the immediate question was, does he know Murphy Brown is a fictional character? Yeah. <laughs> maybe he doesn't. Also, she's. A newscaster who's a millionaire, and if anyone can be a single mother, why can't she? Again, he never saw the show. He nope. just it nope. threw it out there just to make some connection. But yeah, the main speech was about the L.A. riots, family values, how they put a play into it. I do like to try to provide historical context to 1992 from Dan Quayle's viewpoint. Okay, I'm just trying to provide that. Oh, fuck Dan when Quayle. He, <laughs> <laughs> when he was born, the African-American out-of-wedlock birth rate was 15%, okay? Mm. When he gave the speech, it was 70%. Mm. That's a huge societal shift. And from his viewpoint, was that going to continue indefinitely? He had no idea. It's actually held fairly st steady for the last uh, 30 years, and it's about 72% now. But that's what he was trying to connect with, that this has been increasing my entire life what's going to happen in the future I, yeah, but I, it's just part of the the right-wing general republican thing that's always been our answers are moral not economic mm -hmm. and it's like yeah the prop the la riots were caused by kids not having dads in their lives as opposed to the massive economic problems yeah. and, and over policing and the militarized police and the war on drugs no 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 not enough sunday dinners yeah you and, and 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 for me i thought i thought it was an interesting story of media in that the presidency you know isn't as old and storied as you think it is and this is you know we're only like a, a decade or two into the era era where you can actually hear any, everything the president or vice president says it's like you yeah. couldn't do that before and now here we are with 24-hour news networks and the Bush Quayle administration was the last presidential administration I'd seen slam pop culture because for me Ooh. as a kid, when the dust settled on their their regime, those are the hilarious things I think of: shitting on the Simpsons and Roseanne. And and if you think of the game of politics, you're not you're trying to not offend potential demographics. The worst way to do that is just taking a lazy stab at a popular show. And they and I don't think we've heard a president since then negatively bring up. Anything in pop culture, uh, except for Trump. That 
Well, I mean, like, uh, but, but Trump has his personal grievances sure. and things. He's not right. He's not criticizing yeah. them because they're bad for the country. They're criticizing them because they don't like him enough. Yes, and the, the, the Apprentice sucks without me, and that yeah. that kind right. of thing. Uh, Chris, I really think that's an excellent point, and it was probably yeah. brought to home in 1992 because following this, mm-hmm. Quail reached the lowest approval rating of any vice president in U.S. history. Yeah. I don't doubt it. Yeah, he reached the lowest approval rating. So he was as low as a vice president has ever gotten. And then flash forward to January of 2021, and it's utterly possible our nation averted a coup (laughs) thanks to Dan Quayle. (laughs) He Quayle. I am not making this up. I was going to bring that up too. It's like, it's so weird that Dan Quayle's legacy right there, buzzer beater, he might have saved the country. Yeah, he really was. Because Mike Pence called him Indiana vice president to Indiana vice president. Yep. And said, they're they're pressuring me to not certify it. Can I I read the quote? Please read it. Please read it. Over and over, Pence asked if there was anything he could do. Quail. Mike, you have no flexibility on this. None. Zero. Forget it. Put it away. Pence pressed again. Uh, Pence, you don't know the position I'm in. Quail. I do know the position you're in. I also know what the law is. You listen to the parliamentarian. That's all you do. You have no power. Pence was actively waffling. Pence was actively seeking someone who would give him permission, who would give him the moral go-ahead to try to overthrow a legitimate election. Now, picture a different Dan Quayle. Picture a Dan Quayle who spent the last 30 years bitter uh, yeah. against the media for making fun of him, bitter against the establishment for throwing him away, bitter, someone who mm-hmm. let that fester in him. And if that man had said to Pence, you do it. I will yeah. back you up and you've got it. Our country could have gone to a very, very dark spot. So I would n- never thought I would say the nation <laughs> was well served by the moral clarity and strength of character of Dan Quayle. But it was. It absolutely was. It absolutely was. I, I was so shocked when I, I saw that. It's like, yeah, because Dan Quayle was in the same position. He had to certify his own electoral defeat. The mm-hmm. only living person to do that. And, and, what about no Al Gore? Oh, okay, fair. And and and, and and just to, for Dan Quayle to reemerge in the American story like Red Skull and and Avengers Endgame, like just <laughs> if, where, what the fuck? I didn't think this guy would ever come back, and not like this. Oh my god, what a turn! Yeah, I, I have a group of friends, and we joke around that we live in a West Wing universe, and the writers are just getting crazier and crazier oh, over yeah. time. And so this is the writers bringing back a 30-year-old character for one last cameo <laughs> to save the Republic. And what the fuck? Yeah, I can't wait for our Avengers Endgame moment when this uh, wave of fascism and racism comes back and you just see Dan Quayle locking arms with the insane clown posse and just <laughs> <laughs> all pop out of portals to defeat evil. Anyway, god damn, this is a, a long opening segment of the news, longer than we usually yeah. go. Yeah, um, this, but this is very true. I think that's also because not a lot of movies to talk about this week um yeah, well it's uh yeah we we got uh 92 and 02 we got heavy hitters that people get out of the way yeah so we have little indie stuff and then big stuff 92 we got a little errol morris movie with uh lou diamond phillips and the greatest actor alive fred ward called the dark wind yeah errol <laughs> morris's first non-documentary yeah uh and uh, reviews weren't great i admit i haven't watched it and so my errol morris track record is 
Perfect. I've liked everything of his I've ever seen. Burn in Florida, baby. Watch this. Come on, Gates of Heaven, Fog of War, and Blue Line. Come on, man. Yeah, it was surprisingly expensive to rent on like fucking thirty year old movie. I'm like, why is this seven dollars to like watch for an watch for a day? Be- because mm. it's such a low market. Mm. Because they know you're only going to want to watch this if you're Arrow really, Wars really Cletus. wanting to watch it. And then also out this week, Michael Blank, Natasha Richards, Jeff Goldblum, Bob Hoskins in The Favor, The Watch, and The Very Big Fish. That sounds more like a book you would read to your children than a movie that would premiere in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> the favor the watch I the very big fish. Realize this this and this I always forget it's the spaghetti incident and linguini incident, like I've all gotten confused in my head. And I was like, is David <laughs> Bowie in this? No, David Bowie's not in this. It's sort of like a goofy comedy. No. But weird. I I couldn't find it to rent and every plot synopsis made no sense to wow. me. But the reviews were like, okay, it's like it's fun. It's light, we're yeah, someone bet someone a watch, and then their boyfriend, they have to get him a suit, and they yell at, you know, wackiness. Wackiness ensues. Um, a, lot of, a lot of throwbacks Yeah. as of late to that. Um, and then we also have Grace Zabrisky, uh, Elizabeth Pena, Helen Hunt, William Forsyth, Wesley Snipes, and Eric Stoltz in The Water Dance. Ooh, you want to avoid that in Elden Ring, don't you? We all know what I'm yeah. talking about. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, sort of based on a true story uh, where Eric Stoltz, I believe, is a climber who got into an accident and now he is uh, quadriplegic. And it's about him trying to cope with all that while he's also like he was previously having an affair with Helen Hunt, who was married. And like their affair kind of continues, but obviously things are changed because he's different now and he's like doing rehab with Wesley Snipes and stuff. And the reviews were all like really good. Mm. And I feel bad I could not find it to watch it, but I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Everything that we're missing here, please put in comments. If totally. If we're like, we're being assholes and the water dance is great and we should all watch it. Uh, sadly, the one we probably all did watch. Yep. <laughs> yep. Darlene Love, uh, Steve uh, uh, Kahan, Stuart Wilson, Renee Russo, Joe Pesci, Danny Glover, Mel Gibson. Number one at the box office and I believe will go on to be the highest, second highest grossing movie of the entire year. It's Lethal Weapon 3. The only thing they do contribute is mayhem and chaos. Observe. No, I'm chaos and he's mayhem. <laughs> Mel Gibson. You're the right three minutes Free, Danny Glover. They did too old for Joe Pesci. Hello, car 54, where are you? Lethal Weapon 3. You have the right to remain unconscious. Rated R. Anything you say ain't gonna be much. Starts Friday, May 15th. Ah, what a charmer. So my theory for the Lethal Weapon series is there are two separate Lethal Weapon duologies. Oh, I like this theory. Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 are a piece. You Mm -hmm. know, Lethal Weapon 1 is a dark drama about a guy who is suicidal. That's yeah. that's his whole character arc, is he wants to die, and the reason he's a super cop is because he keeps trying to get himself killed in the line of fire, mm. and his partner doesn't want to get killed along with him. That's <laughs> a dark concept. And in the second one, he's still messed up. He's just slightly better on it. But in three and four, it's like, Wacky cops go on wacky adventures, yes. and yeah. they don't mesh. I, I watched all four of them, and they're their own thing. Three and four are their different tonally, structurally, mm-hmm. dramatically than one and two. Well, you had yeah. R- Rene Russo come along and save, um, <laughs> save Mert Riggs. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. And then, and, but I would only say, Jr., it made more sense when you watched them as they came out. Because it's like yeah, these I people mean, are growing and aging, but yeah. if you watch them in a row, yeah, tonally they're they're kind of all over the place. Yeah, I, and I, I like mean this that's... is this is the 
big shift between two and three. Like they, each one, they add more comedy, mm -hmm. you know, adding Joe Pesci in the second one. I mean, honestly, every, every movie, they add someone who lightens the tone here. They add Renee Russo who lightens the tone. The next one, they add Chris Rock who lightens the tone even more, but I still like it. I don't think there's a bad. Ethan no, no. Movie. I think it's actually like one of the more dependable front franchises. And, and yeah. I, I, the first one's written by Shane Black. So like there is like, I, I still watch it and see the humor. I also, I think I said this when we talked about four, you know, fuck Mel Gibson. I get it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with you. Uh, misogynist anti-semite i don't care if i ever see him again these movies he's undeniably awesome i i, I don't know maybe this is like the super sweet spot of nostalgia for me because i didn't like s totally grow up with these movies but they were pretty huge and i saw them mostly on cable up until four and i i think this is like his greatest role like it's everything well, yeah, he does I, well I, I, I... I'd say yeah. it's his greatest role. Uh, I mean, these movies are super huge. They got a parody made of them. That's only for the mark of the super huge genres. And to me, the Lethal Weapon films are peak 80s action. Mm -hmm. You know, action films weren't actually a genre in the 1970s. It's really something that was built up in the 1980s. I do recommend the great documentary In Search of the Last Action Heroes. It covers oh, this. And... In a lot of ways, I feel like Lethal Weapon 3 is this wave yep. peak. Mm -hmm. Like all the 80s action movies are reaching a crescendo right in this film. And then next year, we're going to get Last Action Hero trying to demolish mm -hmm. the action genre. And it's never going to quite be the same. In fact, this film is shown in Demolition Man as an example of the bygone age, like the character who uh, who worships the chaotic past loves this film and has a poster of it in her office to show how crazy things were in the past versus the controlled future of Demolition Man. And there's a lot of truth to that. This is a balls-to-the-walls action film. And if I were watching it in 1992, I could definitely see, like, you can't go much further than this and still be an action film, and that's... Pretty true. Yeah, I think I think the yeah. the definitive endpoint for me is True Lies. True mm, Lies yeah. is like the yeah. most expensive practical action movie ever. With the but at, at that point at, at that point the formula Lethal Weapon accidentally created of the older cop with the young, the the cops who seemingly shouldn't get along but become best friends and defeat a mega bad guy with and this is Hollywood throwing in like massive effects usually reserved for like period films just yeah. blowing and, and and also the Florida connection because this is like for some reason a lot of this is going down in Florida the same way True Lies destroyed the Key West Bridge this movie opens it was I don't know if it was highly publicized where you were but like this is a couple hours from my childhood home they destroy an entire building on set yep. and like I remember those HBO making of things. Yeah. They were like yep. bragging about how much stuff, because this is obviously pre CGI. So it's like, how are we going to blow up this building? We're going to blow up the building. Oh, we're yeah. going to blow it up. We're going to blow up we're the building. We're going to get a lot of cameras. We're going to get, yeah. a, we're going to get a lot of cameras. We're going to pay probably some corrupt office in Florida to <laughs> basically pay for the demolition of a building that's being demolished anyway. Yeah. But we're going to set up cameras around, try and control it. And it is, remains astonishing to look at. I mean, yeah. like they do it. I mean, you can never CGI improve on it because it's an actual explosion actually blowing up a building. There's yeah. no way to make it look better than what they did in this. And I'll never forget the HBO documentary on it where after it all came down, you had a guy yell up, okay, let's do take two. 
<laughs> get out of town. Yep. You know what's weird though? I did not even think about at the time. We're just a couple weeks after the LA riots, and here's I was a movie bring that up. Mm-hmm. about the LAPD, and the bad guy is a bad LAPD guy. Mm. But the main bad thing is cop killer bullets. That's the right. major right. thing yeah. going down uh, in this film. Armor piercing rounds that can go through a a vest so and oh I, no the cops aren't that. safe it's sort of like I, yeah i remember that being a huge thing in the early 90s the idea mm-hmm. of cop killer bullets and armor yeah. piercing yeah. bullets being uh you know just uh, uh unacceptable in a way mm-hmm. normal bullets aren't right which is like yeah. i think any any round at a decent size and a decent distance could probably get through a vest but can we talk about renee russo yeah yeah previously star of free jack the last movie of hers <laughs> we talked about i feel like this is she's like a movie star now mm-hmm. and that's fucking rad i love yeah. renee russo and it's just it's weird it's one of those things of the show of watching the slow climb of different actors as they move up a rung you know it's like oh she's in major league but there's a million people in a major league. right she's creeping up yeah. and creeping up and it's like who can go toe-to-toe with mel gibson's character she fucking can. She's yeah. awesome. The, the I, scene I mean, where his... they are comparing scars and bullet wounds <laughs> is like an all-timer for the series. All, all the other love interests he had in one or two are just nothing burgers. You know, they're forgettable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But Renee Russo's character really stuck around and appears in a big way in four for a reason, because she's mm-hmm. his equal. She's who he should be. And it, it perfectly works. There were some other decisions, like... They brought Joe Pesci back from two for yeah. no good reason. I mean, it's it's he's one really of the most annoying like, characters in film. Yeah, yep. yeah. Although, uh, I, sad to say, I think I've internally okay, 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 okay. okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I, 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 like weirdly, I got vibes of like you know the Fast and the Furious series watching this because mm-hmm. these are like ultra yep. mega blockbusters everyone grossing more than the last and then yep. adding the new up-and-comer to their cast and then keeping them there and like settling like because the last movie is like is chris rock and jet lee jet lee's introduction <laughs> to a to a, an american film and uh yeah i've always i don't know lethal weapon i kind of missed the series but like uh fast is the only series i can think that's like it mm-hmm. extravagant Again, i do action. recommend that documentary it shows how action movies have died and really been replaced by a different genre superhero um, movies yeah. superhero yeah. movies and jackass yeah, forever fundamentally different but this one i gotta say felt like fan service at times but not yeah. bad fan service like mm-hmm. if you were just wanting to just go out all and have fun with it. Sure. This one and even four work for a fun, good time. In this film, Danny Glover's character is canonically 55 years old. You know, he is definitely too old for the shit he is going through. I'm looking at some of the stunts (laughs) and I'm like, no, no, get a desk job, man. I (laughs) I don't want to do that. And there has been talk about another lethal weapon film called Lethal Finale. If, if hypothetically that were to come out two and a half years from now, then Danny's Glover's character would be 80 years old in that. <laughs> yeah. And Rig- it, Riggs would be older than Danny Glover ever was in any of the lethal weapons. He was already that in four. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I misspoke. He wouldn't be 80 years old if it comes out in uh, uh, 2025. He would be 90. Wow. 90 years old. <laughs> wow. Jesus. Do not make that film. Don't do it. Richard Donner's dead. Leave him alone. Yeah. 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 Four was a perfect ending. There was no yeah, reason you need to good... go anywhere after four. It was this. And it uh, actually has like a nice send off. Like, look at all we've been through in the credits. And it, it does. Yeah. yeah. 
uh, it's a, it's a really good way to end the series and not I having never watched, watched the television the TV show. show. No, why Did would either we? of you? No, no, of course not. <laughs> but I watch anything on Fox. <laughs> no, no, I, ne- I never did. I never really saw the the point. Um, no. But but this, I'll say this: uh, perfectly enjoyable film, and it's my least favorite of the Lethal Weapon movies. I think uh, part mm. part part of that is the total mismatch of comedy and in action, and and you know they get busted down to beat cops, that kind of thing. But it's yeah. it's, it's it's primarily a comedy. I love four. I thought I thought four was amazing. I mean, I like four mostly. I feel they're so overmatched by Jet Li that it's mm-hmm. kind of ridiculous, though. Oh, it's like that, they, there's no way they should be able to win. But, I don't care. Well, it was two on one for what it's worth, but yeah. If you no, hate no, no, Mel Gibson, no. he gets his ass kicked so many times by the much better Jet Li in that movie. Okay, yeah. canonically in the Lethal Weapon series, both of these guys are special forces from Vietnam. They are both mm. combat vets who were supposed to be uh, the most amazing combat vets in Vietnam, and then became cops because they were addicted to adrenaline. Not Murtaugh. He's a family man. He went special forces. But Riggs was. He fought in Korea. He's got a tattoo. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He fought in Iwo Jima. That's how old he is. And then, yeah, JR pointed out, uh, I'm guessing there's a a post-credit scene. Which I wasn't aware of until this. Oh, I didn't know that. And and you, you may think... Marvel has probably the most expensive post-credit scenes, especially if you haven't seen a, a new one from Doctor Strange. Uh, I haven't. No spoilers. Th- this is, but that's usually because of like who they surprise you with in the casting. Whereas this is like this looked really expensive, and most of the audience left before they saw it. I don't understand it at it, all. <laughs> it is a, it is the another blowing up of a Florida building, like a complete demolition of a real building. I guess they got a two-for-one special? Yeah. can't see the bomb squad anywhere. They're coming, they're coming. Okay, all right, all right. Let's stop here. Okay, stop here, and I'll just get out. No, 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 don't get out the car, Riggs. No. Riggs! Tell me, Rudge, was it red wire, blue Mel Gibson and Denny Glover are not even in the shot. It is just their voices and a car driving up to a building. But an, another entire building explodes in the daytime. And it's like, how did you have this much money to <laughs> to leave this out of the film? Holy shit. But yeah, leave the weapon three, everybody. Let's move on to TV of 1992, May 13th through the 19th. Continuing our <laughs> death knell of the 80s, the adventures of Superboy ends. Yeah, to me, the adventures of Superboy was a total 80s comic book TV show, which we didn't mm-hmm. get very many of them. Uh, we're going to have the Lewis, uh, the Adventures of Lewis and Clark Lois and come Clark. out next year, which is very 90s. And mm-hmm. Superboy wasn't. Superboy was very, even more cheesy than Lewis and Clark. It was a oh. weird show yes. because they replaced the entire cast in season two. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know when that happens, but they just went, you know what? Superboy is the star of this. None of the actors are working out. Let's just replace them all. The Lex Luthor they got was much better in seasons two and three. Three tried to be much more noir. Like <laughs> uh, uh, Superboy thought he killed someone and met Satan. <laughs> Yeah, it was a weird show. Uh, it did feature some of the actors from the original 1950 TV show playing cameos, which mm-hmm. I thought was a nice, nice touch. Yeah, I, I just remember watching this. I want to say it was in syndication, but it would come on yeah. like yeah. seven o'clock right before like The Simpsons and shit. So I, I usually yeah. accidentally watch. It. I just remember it was like it felt like this is. Uh, this feels like it should be a Nickelodeon, like a ex- yeah. really expensive Nickelodeon show. Very kid-focused and kind of corn cornball. It's hard to get into. 
my my final anecdote about it is that the actor who played Superboy mm-hmm. got hired to be in Lewis and Clark Lois. because they thought Lois and Clark. <laughs> sorry, got hired to be in Lois and Clark because they thought he did an amazing Superman. But then they learned he had already played Superboy. Wow and turned him down because they didn't want to confuse the audience. But they were like, wow, this guy really gets the character. Oh, and that's how we got Dean Cain. God damn it. Yeah, meanwhile, that's that's current DC shows love stunt casting like that. Have you ever been in any f- DC failure? Let's throw you in the flash. More to more close to my heart, the last episode of Get a Life aired. Yeah, series is over. Clip no show. more Get a Life. I, I think it aired a few months ago. I thought we talked about this because, yeah. I, I think we talked about a special episode, the spoo- spewy episode. Spewy? Just all right, because. all right. But I, I, I thought I remember talking about this. But, uh, yes. Get a Life was kind of a peeing in the eye of the sitcom formula that didn't gel with a lot of viewers and Fox Brass and the final episode. Well, the, the main character has been known to die in episodes. In the <laughs> final episode, he falls from a plane and has a clip show as his life flashes before his eyes. Lands in a bed. Hey, what luck. For once, I didn't die. I landed on one of those discarded beds from the classic TV series Love American Style. I guess I'm blessed after all. Caption says bed made out of plastic explosives. (laughs) Boom. And then it's a oh, what a wonderful world begins to play. And that was the first time I had ever heard that song. And I thought it was original to get a life. And I was like, this is an amazing song. I thought the same thing about R.E.M. Stand. Like, wow. Yeah, same. same. I thought that was an original to get a life I guess Chris Elliott wrote that song. It's beautiful. (laughs) Uh, But have either of you ever seen Love American Style? I hear I heard it referenced all the time, but I never watched it. I have. There was some point I think Nick at Night might have picked it up, and mm. it was only funny because you could watch watch episodes and see people like before they were famous. Love American Style is a really stupid show that was <laughs> like an anthology show, or it was just different little stories about different people or couples, or whatever. And uh, it was super 70s and cheesy. <laughs> wow. And a bit of television slash radio news. I don't remember this happening. Frank Stallone beats Geraldo Rivera in boxing on the Howard Stern show. <laughs> What the fuck? So it was broadcast, and you can see the entire fight on YouTube, and they are going at it. They they are genuinely trying to box the other person into uh, unconsciousness. So if you ever wanted to watch that, you can. Yeah, there's something... I kind of do that. Yeah, I think Diane especially does. Geraldo hater from the beginning of this show. I see Geraldo get his ass whooped by someone who might know a tiny bit about boxing. Yeah. And uh, lastly in TV, something I think we probably talked about before, but something I wish they still did, which is the comic relief in America. I know it means something different in the UK, but comic relief was this big HBO giant for homelessness, Uh, Mm -hmm. raising money for homelessness, but a, a live comedy extravaganza and this is no exception hosted by Billy Crystal Whoopi Goldberg and Robin Williams this has like Rosie O'Donnell and Don Rickles but like uh, there's a bunch of lost comedy because these are like kind of nowhere these uh, charity comedy shows they'd always be like kind of big deals and you'd see kids in school throughout the 80s and early 90s with like a comic relief shirt because they donated money during this and just because it's so much fun to make Billy Crystal this comic relief 5 opens with Billy Crystal rapping oh no This is Comic Relief, the show that the government hates. 
And he redeemed himself at the very last second. Yeah. Holy God. Also, Kelly Crystal and Robin Williams get in a pie-eating contest with George Foreman. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love comic reliefs. And, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's a bummer they still don't do them. Games of 1992, May 13th to the 19th. 92, we got um, all PC games, Secret Weapons of Luftwaffe expansions to uh, do... Th- oh, God. Uh, do 355 people. HE162. So doing an expansion pack in 1992 was insane because it's not like a DLC today. You have to physically go into the store, get a new floppy disk, and install it on your PC. But LucasArts made the best flying sim games of the time, and they were trying to condense the entire... USAF's strategic bombing effort in Europe onto four floppy disks. (laughs) And they basically succeeded. This is an incredibly in-depth game given the technology of the time. And I want you both to guess how many pages the manual oh is. man pc game manuals of the 90s oh, yeah. early 90s yeah. uh oh, that's that's gonna be like 80 pages 130 we got 80 130 Chris? 130 225 <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so younger listeners imagine reading 225 pages before you start your game. You want to complain to me about unskippable tutorials? No. Read 225 pages and then you can complain. Yeah, a quarter of that no. probably was the anti-piracy match game or whatever. Some... Yeah, no, you're, you're not going to read that. You're going to fire up the game, start playing, fail horribly, and then start thumbing through really fast. Like, uh, yeah, That's uh, what I did. Uh. I mean, uh, the PC gaming manuals were like the perfect bathroom reads back in the day. Uh, yeah. Holy shit, were they big. And then we also get Sim Life on PC. This is my biggest PC game disappointment of all time. Oh. I did not get many video games. Uh, you know, it was a special treat. It was a birthday present. This was my birthday present for 1992. I loved the Sim City series. I got really into it. Mm-hmm. SimCity is where you build a city from nothing. And everyone can understand a city. You can understand this was a shack, then it's a building, now it's a skyscraper. I'm doing good. The concept in life is to put the entire ecosystem of the world and every possible ecosystem that there could ever be onto four floppy disks, <laughs> and it failed miserably. Making an ecosystem is not fun. And the anime, I, I, I was picturing I could build my own dinosaurs, which would fight other dinosaurs. And then I'd introduce saber tooth tigers. And then I'd do all these cool things. And this is a spreadsheet disguising <laughs> itself as a game. It is the most complex, obtuse. 1992 user interface which expects the only people playing this are people who learn to program basic and regard anything with a window as an extravagance okay this is not a game it's an education tool for people who have already got their phd in evolution and computer science that is the only people this game would appeal to and my 1992 ass poured over the probably 100 page instruction booklet desperate to get fun out of the one video game i would get for the season and failing miserably at it 
and 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 just looking at a screenshot of it, it looks like an advanced minesweeper with a weather map on top of it. Like it, it because you're trying to do an ecosystem, so you've got your dinosaur that looks like a five by five pixel, yeah, and no an matter emoji. what, how cool your dinosaur is, it's still a five by five pixel going against other five by five pixel dinosaurs which is mapping your weather and your elevation and and the heat and the day and the the temperature and the earth's rotational axis and the disease environment because your creatures can get stds but not in a fun way (laughs) and i'm just for the benefit of no one if you want to learn more the official strategy guide is available on Amazon for over $200. Uh, <laughs> still available, multiple copies, but all over $200. Sim life, uh, baby. I, see, see I, I look this up because occasionally I'll find like YouTube videos. This guy has been playing the same version of Sim City for the last 17 years, and he's you know broken the game, and he's done all these things with it. It's like interesting. Oh, what can you do with these old games if you just play them with a ridiculously fast PC compared to what they were programmed for. You play them for long. There are no fans of this game. Mm-hmm. Like trying to find a YouTube video, you find like one guy who's got 135 hits, and that's like the top of the line because everyone is as bitter about this game as I am. Yeah, Simant for life. A movie uh, Wolfenstein 3D is also out this week. Oh, I, I'm not okay. okay. There's one I've heard of. Yes, <laughs> Wolfenstein. For me, the first game, uh, the first first person shooter I ever played but more importantly like the first shareware phenomenon that couldn't stop being like copied over onto every computer in the entire middle school it was just fucking it was hidden everywhere on every computer this is really the granddaddy of all 3D shooters there were some that came before this but none on this scale none that were this popular and none that were frankly this good Uh, you play BJ Blastowitz and you go around killing Nazis something everyone enjoys doing it was moving faster than any other 3D game had the time so it had this boom 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 arcade action it's not trying to be a simulation it's just trying to be balls to the wall crank up your heavy metal grab your gun and shoot as many nazis as you can until you get to the next level and it, so you get it's that hitler robot every note oh yeah i've seen the hitler robot i don't think i appreciated that wolfenstein predates dune doom yeah oh yeah yeah this yeah, is, doom is next year yep and this is setting the stage for it uh i do highly recommend the book masters of doom it's an incredible exploration of id software's rise mm-hmm. and uh really makes you feel like you're there in the video game trenches with them but yeah you get a battle hitler in a mech suit you can't can't beat that and it throws in things like a pac-man maze doesn't take itself seriously it gives a lot of little touches like bj blastowitz's face gets more and more gnarled the more uh, damage you get it gives you a little death cam uh when you kill the bad guys and it's i, I love pointing out it's not the first wolfenstein i don't know that it's the third but it's the 3D that's the huge thing. That's why it's important. And moving on to more nerdy shit, Dark Force Rising in terms of books. This is the second book in the Thrawn trilogy. Right. At the start of this, I said it was, uh, I was going to talk about the highlight of the Star Wars series. Okay. The Thrawn trilogy is not better than the prequels. The Thrawn trilogy is not better than the sequels. The Thrawn trilogy is better than the original. Boom. Hot mic. But wait a second. Empire Strikes Back had um, no reading. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And so 
this came out at a super weird time in Star Wars. The, a Star Wars drought. Love talking yeah, about there it. There had been nothing for years and years before this Thrawn trilogy. The, the very short a- period of time between 86 and when Shadows of the Empire where I didn't have to think about Star Wars every day. Everybody mm-hmm. wasn't talking about it all the time. It, and after 96, it never stopped. <laughs> the internet yeah. came, and I, I, I hear about Star Wars every fucking day now. George Lucas worked with Timothy Zahn on this, and further proof, not that there's not much needed, that he wasn't really planning anything out. He told Zahn that the Clone Wars happened 35 years before the original trilogy, and then he changed it to 20 years. So any canonical problems with this trilogy are really George Lucas's fault. Blame him. But this has the best villain in Star Wars history. Grand Admiral Thrawn is a smart villain. In most media, your villain succeeds because the heroes are holding the idiot ball and make stupid, stupid decisions. Thrawn succeeds because he makes smart decisions where you go, wow, that was really smart. And even though our heroes are doing the right thing, you outsmarted them. And he's an efficient boss. There's this fantastic scene in this book where uh, Luke Skywalker is escaping and one of the cadets on the Imperial starship is trying to stop him and so he tries this new maneuver that had never been tried before to try to stop Luke Skywalker. He fails and he goes to Grand Admiral Thrawn and you know you're expecting the Darth Vader force choke. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thrawn listened to him goes you showed amazing foresight in trying to come up with a plan to stop that on the fly. I'm promoting you. Even though he <laughs> failed because he did something right, he got rewarded. And that's why Thrawn is an amazing villain. Because you're like, he's the Hank Scorpio of the Star <laughs> Wars universe. You're like, I, I don't appreciate your world domination, Hank Scorpio, but you seem like a really good boss. And that's who Thrawn is. And now he's he's. this is all retconned and legends. And then... They reintroduced him in somehow into the animated series. I don't know exactly where Thrawn fits in, but he's in the Star, the Disney Star Wars universe proper now. Yeah. And I haven't heard much fanfare about that. But but I think it's somebody from the books who everyone always wanted to see be elevated onto the screen. Let's get into music before we close out 1992, because Jump by Criss Cross is still number one. Uh, we got new releases including Spice One's self-titled debut. We got The Ritual by Testament. Never Enough by Melissa Etheridge. Forever Free by Saxon. Love Is by Kim Wilde. Life Is Messy by Rodney Crowell. Revenge by Kiss. And Some Gave All, the debut of Billy Ray Cyrus. And... It began. Oh, so, wow. Uh, you know I, what we're playing. I was there. We're going to... Uh... It didn't make number one on the pop charts, though. I was kind of really? surprised. I was, thought it did. It, it gets to like three. That surprises me because I remember it being a cultural juggernaut everywhere. Yeah, it 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 was. It's the beginning of the '90s. '90s music being a place where any genre can have a a momentary comeback and like dominate the pop culture landscape, be it swing or monks chanting. And this time it was pop's con- pop country. Achy breaky heart by Billy Ray Cyrus will take us out, and I apologize, but we'll shit on Star Wars right after this. Don't tell my heart, my achy breaky heart. I just don't think you'd understand. And if you tell my heart, my achy breaky heart, he might blow up and kill his man. Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? 
Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 302010. Coming in with Keep Fishing by Weezer off of Maladroit. Yes, who could forget this video? Is this like right pre-acquisition Muppets, pre-acquisition Muppets appearing in a Weezer video? I think this is a perfect example of how a good concept can sweeten up a pretty boring song. <laughs> and I, I love this song because there are Muppets in the Weezer video. Welcome to 2002, May 13th to the 19th. Uh, new releases this week also include 18 by Moby, the debut of the Black Keys, the big come up, Black Sun by Primal Fear, Boohoo by Voltaire, Come Home With Me by uh, Cam- Cam- Cameron, Cameroon, I always forget how to pronounce this. Yeah, I thought it was just Cameron. Cameron. Okay. Commissioned by Dead Z, Down the Road by Van Morrison, On a Wire by the Get Up Kids, and Vapor Trails by Rush. Foolish by Ashanti is still number one. It won't end. Number one. I did, I did uh, like, segueing into news from music, I couldn't find more information on this, so uh, I shouldn't even say, but I had to. <laughs> 2002, Celine Dion's album is released in Europe, and they put something on it to make it uncopyable, and it ends up crashing computers, and I think in certain <laughs> cases, breaking them entirely if you were trying to copy <laughs> Like a, 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 just a great early example of terrible copyright protection was happening this week. I mean, I couldn't find more information on that. So if anybody has any, good lord, that would be hilarious. If we got one of those people struck with a Celine Dion virus. <laughs> Two thousand two news: uh, Ten members of the Darwin-based uh, Network Against Prohibition invade the Legislative Assembly of the Northern Territory of Australia. Legalizing. They were not sure what to charge them with so they had to really dig up a bunch of old law books and they decided to charge him with disturbing the legislative assembly whilst it is in in session which had not been used since the days of oliver cromwell it reminds me of my buddy he got uh he got pulled over for teen wolfing on top of his van that's where you surf on the roof and the cops are like uh there's no protocol for this. <laughs> Again, uh, no seatbelt. He got a ticket for no seatbelt. <laughs> what yeah, else are you going to do? Was digging up a 400-year-old law from yes, another country. There's no time. Adam. Finally in news, people's most beautiful people issue, and number one, Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. That's he, fair. I yeah, 2002 you? Nicole Kidman. Oh, no, she's, she's undeniably tracks. beautiful, still beautiful, great actress. I just, 
I'm just starting to go back into movie theaters, and if you haven't been to an AMC, she gives like a fucking two-minute poem before every movie that mm-hmm. annoys the absolute piss out of me and makes me hate her. I just, <laughs> I just want her to stop or that, do a def, do, show us another take or something like that. She just looks like a fucking ghost. Nicole Kidman, congratulations. Oh, anyway, moving on to the movies of 2002. What a fantastic bit of counterprogramming we have here. I'm kind of shocked by this. That this is me a, too. you know, it's it's not a movie getting dumped up against the big guy. It came out a couple weeks ago in the uk mm-hmm. and it's coming out as counter-programming to star wars but it's not getting dumped it's a good fucking movie it's a good movie i loved it i thought this was enjoyable and i learned it's by the same author who wrote high fidelity and that mm-hmm. perfectly tracks it's it's that oh, yeah. same type of sweetness of a guy who's a douche but he's trying to not be a douche is the thing that makes it a good movie and from the Writers, directors of American Pie, even yeah. more strangely. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see that, their influence, honestly. There was no, no pastry having intercourse <laughs> in this film. But uh, Nicholas Hutchinson, Sharon uh, Small, Natalia uh, Tana, Rachel Wise, Tony Collette, Nicholas Holt, and Hugh Grant in About a Boy. Will has committed his life to avoiding commitment. He'll end up childless and alone. Both fingers crossed, yeah. But nobody's perfect. I'd like her to be my girlfriend. Oh, there, so brilliant. No man is an island. About a boy. Yes. Little little Bebe Nicholas Holt. Mm -hmm. I totally forgot this was him. It's like, oh, right. He was a very tiny child. Oh, oh, Beast. Yeah, Beast from the the Mm X-Men movies. And he's also in, yeah, The Favorite, Fury Road. Yeah. Here he's just a tiny little Bebe. I can't even, because I did not rewatch this. Yeah, I can't even imagine him. But uh, yeah, I remember it's a little schmaltzy, but kind of digging it. Just sort of a... What do you call it? A mildly more serious take on Big Daddy with Adam Sandler? <laughs> I, I kind of see that. Like, yeah, I also sort of avoided this because I thought it was going to be just too rom-com-y. Mm-hmm. I thought it was about Hugh Grant being a player and like being nice to this kid so he can fuck his mom. And that's not quite how that works. <laughs> like those pieces are there, but there's other pieces involved and now i just i feel like we're turning into a hugh grant fan cast because he's so fucking good in this he plays the character pitch perfect you know i he could have gone way too far in either direction he could have made him completely unlikable or he could have made him so likable that you'd never believe he did the bad things he does but he threads that needle perfectly yeah it's so so adorable yeah and nick hornby god damn yeah. that guy's good yeah you can yeah. see the connection between like a. Uh... Uh, John Cusack's high fidelity character is very similar. Yeah, a, a thousand percent. Not as much fever pitch, I guess. Maybe mm-hmm. a little bit. And then it's just someone whose priorities are a bit shit. Yes. And then they fix them. Yeah. A self-absorbed yeah. man-child. Yeah, he's a self-absorbed yeah. man-child who goes to a group for single moms to pick up women. <laughs> um, And then like, oh no, people have feelings. <laughs> In terms but, of, yeah, but the main thing is... Be- it's it's a kid who turns out to have feelings by a highly unlikely series of events. Young boy kind of takes him as a role model at a time he desperately needs his role model because his mother tried to commit suicide. And this kid is floundering. You know, he's dealing through something that no kid should have to deal with. And he latches on to Hugh Grant's character. And Hugh Grant's character is a dick. But he's not such a big dick that he's going to kick a kid whose mom tried to commit suicide to the curb. So they develop this paternal relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, it was really sweet and fun. And just <laughs> the Hugh Grant's character's background is like such a 
interesting, clever way to have a character be independently wealthy. And yet we, we like, we kind of hate him for it, but also feel a little bad for him that all his money comes from residuals from a novelty Christmas song his dad wrote <laughs> yeah. and how haunted he is. But it's like, oh God, he's like out in the store and he starts hearing it over the speaker and he just loses it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and he uh, has to explain it to someone and we hear his inner monologue. Don't sing it. Don't sing it. Don't sing it. And then, of course, they begin singing it. And they say, has anyone ever done that before? And he just smiles through gritted teeth. Mm -hmm. No, I think you're the first. <laughs> Finally, something is I, I'm seeing on screen my life of how I react when I hear the first Christmas song while I'm there out shopping. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, <laughs> Santa's magic sleigh. God damn it. I think it. Did you know? Didn't this recently have a show based on it? It did. There yeah. was actually two. Wow. There was one that was a failed pilot. And I want to say is that one had Patrick Dempsey. and But it didn't go to, to show. And then there was another one in 2014, mm. which went uh, two and a half. Well, like one and a half seasons. It's like, okay. I can see had it. Had any driver on it. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I haven't watched the movie in a while, but it was always okay when it popped up I'm, i was always okay with it when it popped up on cable it kind of it kind of a departure for hugh grant not mm -hmm. playing someone completely charming yeah. or relatable um yeah yeah interesting role for him and he's great at narration and man hugh yeah. grant a lot of hugh grant fandom on this podcast recently my I word know. i want and i like to think that his character goes nuts and becomes a pirate captain and yeah. now is animated somehow <laughs> Names himself. Let's just tie it all captain. together. Oh. I'm just uh, vamping because I don't want to talk about the number one movie. <laughs> ah, <laughs> I might just leave. You guys talk about it. Move on to the number one movie. Jimmy Smith's uh, Tamura Morrison, uh, Pernilla August, Frank Oz, Kenny Baker, Anthony Daniels, Ian uh, McDiarmid, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Christopher Lee, Hayden Christensen, Natalie Portman, and Ewan McGregor. It's number one at the box office, if you can believe it. Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Anakin, don't do anything without first consulting either myself or the council. He's holding me back! I'm a Jedi. A Jedi! What do you know? The boy has exceptional skills. His abilities have made him arrogant. You're not all powerful, Anakin. Well, I should be. I see you becoming the greatest of all Jedi. No, Anakin, no! Hayden Christensen is a good actor. Yeah. He has good acting abilities. Yes. It yep. is a bad script. Yep. I don't care who you are. You could not have changed this. From my perspective, it is a good script. And <laughs> the, some of these lines are like, this is placeholder. This is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I will say this. This is an excellent first draft. Okay, that is George Lucas's problem. He wanted to write the prequels. He wrote the prequels, but he didn't want to work too hard because he's a billionaire. Yeah. And he wrote a first draft and he was like, yeah, we can just shoot this. Yeah. And then he didn't have a team of people to critique him and slam him for the bad points because there is a fabulous movie underneath this. You could tweak this. Yeah. You could yep. correct it. You could uh, revise it. And you could have an amazing story about a young Jedi striving against a out-of-touch council that is keeping him from saving his mother from slavery. Yeah. <laughs> okay? That should kind of be a big deal. He was yeah. taken away to be a child soldier for a religious order while his mother was left in a state of slavery. Yeah. 
that should be a huge drama point and it's just never mentioned yeah nah it's like well you shouldn't care about that and, and Anakin. Rewatch- just ca- caring about things is weakness yeah and rewatching really? all these things as, as a, then what are we doing here rewatching all these things as adults as an adult there's a bunch of like people complain about the political intrigue but i'm like this should be fleshed out and built upon and said things are just like casual like his mom being a slave are like very casually mentioned and never addressed and well the political stuff i feel like another draft and you you probably have nailed it because yeah. it is telling a a story that is that has happened multiple times and we're always in constantly being threatened with it happening again the idea of like there's an emergency let's give one man too much power mm-hmm. and he'll give it back at the end, he'll Cincinnati sit, and he never ever does. It's always the beginning of the empire as opposed to the republic. It happened in Rome. It happened with Napoleon. It happened with Hitler. So that's there, there and then they don't do anything with it. Could be here, okay? There's a great scene where Anakin is talking with Padme about democracy, and he's like, "Well, actually, I don't believe in it." And all you had to do was be like. You speak of your democracy, but what did it do for me, the child born in slavery? What has your democracy done for my mother, who still languishes on slavery? Padme, when told about slavery, is like, yeah, that's illegal, but she doesn't really care. (laughs) She doesn't uh, think the republic should actually do anything to end it in republican territory. I mean, if you found out that slavery was happening in Puerto Rico, would you be like, okay, whatever? Well... That's how you know, they are there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But, but no. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically how Padme does it. And yeah. you could have completely had Anakin be like, I need the Empire to be strong so it can stamp out things like slavery, which the Republic is too weak to do. Boom. You've got a plot point that can be high drama and uh, can bring your story from plot beat to plot beat. But it's never done. It's yeah. never addressed. How, how about having someone do the wrong thing for the right reason? Yeah. That's compelling. That's some yeah. drama right there. But no. Oh, it turns out there was a secret. Another Sith over here. It's Christopher Lee's over by that green screen because he's really old. And there's a secret army that some guy built. Oh, I guess we'll use that. I don't know. Should you? Did you pay for it? I don't <laughs> know. Why are there 50s diners in space? Diane, like one of my main gripes coming out of this movie when we did Mm -hmm. Sega Star Wars, I'm just glad to have a lady's perspective on this. Yeah. (laughs) And just on JR's JR's point, one, in The Phantom Menace, like there's quite an age difference between these two people. And then when they have conversations, he's like, I don't know, why don't we all make them follow the rules? And like, what woman falls in love with a young guy who says these things? What? Yeah, I don't know. Aren't you a senator? Yeah, aren't you? You care about democracy, and he's like, fascism sounds pretty yeah. good. We just make and him do then, fascism. And then on top of that, let me, I, I'm going to describe to you how I genocided a village full of people. I hate Men, you. women, what? and children. And Again. she's like, let me take my top off. That sounds great. <laughs> what evidence do we have that Padme is a good character? I feel like you're projecting your own morals on her. Again, yeah. she was low-key chill with slavery. She is completely canonically chill with genocide. And, you know, she has this theoretical attachment to democracy. She's still a queen. Mm. Maybe she kind of liked being a queen. And the democracy thing is not that strong with her. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's well, that's we're getting to the the basic point. The yeah. problem with so many of these is that the characters are so thinly drawn, and they tell you who they are, but they do not show yeah. you. Yeah, right. There, uh, it, it, it's it's it just seems like George Lucas is in a rush to get to some conclusion. And having seen all these, like I don't know what that was. What yeah. were you in such well, a hurry? To... He, yeah, the most damning thing I've ever heard about the prequel trilogies is someone asking you describe character X in the prequel trilogy without saying what they look like or their job. Yep. Tell yeah. me who Padme is without describing what she looks like or her job. Mm-hmm. And mm. that's, and I think that's the. The heart, the emotion, uh, the substance that is completely lacking in the prequel trilogy. And I rather, look, I'm all for kids liking this movie. I'm all for adults liking this movie. You're free to like this. But these movies are fucking bad. They are like objectively bad. And the argument rages, what is worse, Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones? And I can totally see it going from my experience. This, I guess we should, this is like the first digital movie. This is, it. It looks interesting, more interesting than Phantom Menace. Okay, and- Here, here's the sad thing. The prequel trilogies are amazing filmmaking. Indep- independent filmmaking. <laughs> but they advance the art of filmmaking yeah. tremendously. Yeah. We had so many special effects, so many processes improvements. The prequel trilogies are, are advanced the state of digital filmmaking, which is a huge breakthrough for every filmmaker on the planet immensely in service of a d minus story and, and at that's best what always makes me feel so bad is like there are so many artists doing such good work yeah. here yeah and, and, and fa- it doesn't matter i still say the- phantom menace is worse it is yes not only boring it is fucking dumb it is really dumb this well, movie this one is has it, something resembling a plot. Yes. Yeah. And, but and except except really. it centers around a love story that is embarrassing. It is fucking it embarrassing. Is a, it is a horrible love story, and it is at its heart a love story film. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's uh, I, I I know there must be a worse love story I've seen who's primarily a love story. Mm. I just can't recall it. Ooh, and again, Hayden, Hayden Christensen is, is a good actor and he has given yeah. the worst dialogue I have like ever seen in a movie that costs over a hundred million dollars. I'm uh, this, this is filled with amazing actors. You yeah. want to say Samuel L. Jackson is a bad actor. Yeah. Ewan McGregor is a bad actor. Portman is a bad actor. No, these are solid, amazing actors. Yeah, but, but, then, but then when you but look you when you can't... look at Hayden Christensen's career, it sort of mirrors Mark Hamill's in that like yeah. no more leading man stuff for you. You don't get to do that anymore. Which yeah. he was before this. And I thought yeah. he was pretty good in movies like Shattered Glass. And like he has a pretty positive attitude about all this, goes to some fan conventions. I'm pretty sure he's an Obi-Wan. Yeah. But I I just feel like the world kind of turned their back on him because of the fucking material he was given in this movie in particular. And and the end mm-hmm. of Sith, which is fuck like it doesn't redeem the prequel trilogy at all. I hate it. I did hear a funny quote that uh, in this film, Anakin and Obi Wan are basically a pair of Mormon missionaries. Yes, uh, they're paired up in a group of two, going around for their religious order and forbidden from banging anyone. It's, <laughs> it's there is a comic series that came out after Disney acquired Star Wars from Marvel that's called Anakin and Obi Wan, and that's pretty much what it is. 
adventure of two <laughs> celibate sure. dudes traveling to and like why is this so much more interesting than the fucking prequel trilogy because just... <laughs> that's a natural thing i mean you could have done lethal weapon in space with these two yeah and yeah. it would have been fantastic but that's not what we got we got an attempt to make dr Zhivago with maybe a junior high school student's understanding of what love is. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I, I, I hate to impress that on George Lucas because, you know, I know he's been married, adopted kids, but yeah, it, a very poor version of a romance. And She's never been good at uh, interpersonal relationships. You mm -hmm. can see that mm -hmm. in every film but American Graffiti, which blows my mind that he captured emotions in American Graffiti so incredibly well. I mean, yeah. multiple, multiple characters with multiple yeah. different types of relationships, all recognizably human relationships, unlike the weird robot relationship between Anakin and Padme. That's, that's the reality he actually lived in, the one he yeah. created. Yeah, but you could, why couldn't he transport that? You know, sure, teenagers you. in outer space. I mean, Anakin is a teenager. Yep. <sighs> I think it's because he had two actual writers with him to say no. Yeah. Yeah. And this was at a point in his career where everyone would say no to him I mean, all the, the damn time. There there are clips from the behind the scenes of the making the prequel trilogy that have him talking and people with odd looks on their face. But like <laughs> I, I've been to Lucas a couple of times, been fortunate enough to do mm -hmm. that. And when you set foot in there, it's just like there are people with kids and families whose careers rely on making more star wars and that had to happen yeah. and george lucas wants to do it like and it is very a very clearly a case of no one being able to tell him no and, right did it have I, to happen though did we need prequels i uh, i, I, I need it no, no, no. but uh, the mandalorian is a prequel series and mm -hmm. it's amazing it's no, fantastic no. Once, once again, I, I never got I'm the. Glad we got it. I, I love pointing out, sick of Star Wars. These are the highest grossing independent movies ever made, made technically outside of the studio system, yeah. self financed by George Lucas. Uh, everything after Star Wars is like that. That's why he made so much fucking money. And I think a studio probably. You want to tell three prequel movies about your Hitler? No. <laughs> like, what's the. What could you possibly do that would please audiences? Humanize your genocidal disco samurai why why would we green light this no you you cannot do that he could be a side character it, it it makes no sense to focus on anakin for this prequel trilogy and i think that's like the full, most foolish thing about it they could have had the focus on obi-wan though it yeah. could have yeah. been his story how he trusted anakin skywalker nurtured anakin skywalker and it got betrayed by him. Mm -hmm. Being betrayed yes. by someone you raise? Gee, I wonder if anyone's ever wrote a play about that. <laughs> I, 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 what do you, I, I have a feeling that is going to be the topic of the Obi-Wan series. That is kind of what I've, I feel in hindsight the prequel trilogy should have been. So, I, But I, yeah. I guess that's my question for you guys. Is this the worst of the trilogy, prequel trilogy? Ooh, so I... I I got to go with no. Mm -hmm. I think Phantom Menace is worse, mostly because a lot of the problems here are set in motion there. Yes. It's also the least essential where like even there's like the machete order where you can watch them, you know, to tell the whole story and you don't need that one. You literally can start here. There's no information you need yeah. from that one. And this has something resembling a plot. There's a little bit of a mystery that Obi-Wan's got to figure out. Mm -hmm. I, it's not good, but I think it's better. And the storylines converging on one part is a good 
Storytelling 101, Phantom Menace has four separate storylines all going on at the climax <laughs> that don't really interact with each other, which is yeah. like uh, really bad storytelling. Um, I can tell you that in 2002, when I watched this, uh, living in Japan, had to take an hour and a half long train ride uh, to get to my newest movie theater. And I came out happy. I came out being like, that was better than Phantom Menace. Yeah, I think we all I did. got new Star Wars in the 20 years since. You know, I've definitely degraded and degraded the prequels. And I, I do wonder how much of that is me writing it independently and how much of it is just being exposed to nerd culture and all these takedowns after takedowns. Rampant like negativity. It, yeah. Uh, so uh, I would say Phantom is worse. This is middle. Sith is best of the prequels of the prequels yeah, yeah. and still i'm just it. glad everyone's finally coming around to the correct decision because uh i i was a hater from the beginning yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a very very frustrating time because after phantom menace anyone the best defense people had was look it's the first part of a three-part story so don't judge it by itself I'm like fine let's see where so things weird. go and I'll finally come out of this one and be like i was right the whole time and people are like we still don't know like it had good parts what about the big fight and i'm like i don't fucking care about yoda jumping around like a little monkey that I remember that is the the best thing most people had to say about the movie. And if you remember the marketing campaign for the home video, Huda Man, Yoda Man, and just showed Yoda fighting and like, whoa, holy shit. And like, like, okay, Yoda fighting Christopher Lee, I was not expecting. Yeah. I just don't think it's very good. See, in 2002, we hadn't seen a mass Jedi battle. We hadn't seen, yeah. you know, a hundred Jedi fighting in this huge combat. And I guarantee you, uh, 99% of nerds, if you ask that in uh, 1996, do you want to see a mass Jedi battle? The answer would have been, take my money. You yeah. know? No, no, I want to see Gungans throw bubbles at robots for an hour. <laughs> yeah. Why why are there so many memes about the prequel trilogies? Like I almost never see any memes about the sequel trilogy which is more recent, but I see memes of this all the freaking time. Uh, I, I I would I would have to speculate that most meme makers were at the perfect age to if not enjoy these movies, be exposed to them over and over again. Yeah. And I, I I will say I think this is probably the worst movie that I've seen the most number of times. I do not like Attack of the Clones. I have seen Attack of the Clones a dozen times. Yeah. What the hell is wrong with me? I, I think that there was that bit of Stockholm Syndrome. I remember it. That yeah. like this, this was better. We got a better movie. And when it came out, I remember when Phantom Menace came out on home. There was it didn't come out on DVD. It came out on VHS only. And I just fell asleep every time I tried to watch it. And <laughs> and then my buddy got the uh, Clones DVD. And you know we you know we just throw it on. We were fucking around, drinking on a Friday night. We throw it on. And it, like I yeah, I've seen it probably the most. Um, and we're like, this isn't great, but it's better. It's, it's better and and sometimes that's all you had to hang on to because there wasn't this fucking glut of star wars content coming out where i can't even keep up with it anymore yeah what, a, what an interesting time in the star wars saga again sick of star wars we're gonna do it again uh patreon.com slash later time if you want to hear a much longer version of that all that spiel with past blaster adam from uh padukin and uh jeremy from uh film heat the new film bracket podcast uh check out patreon.com slash laser time Oh, enough plugs. You ready for the death of the 90s as we move into TV? Yeah. Really is, this no. is a biggie. Really this is a biggie. Is feeling like the end of the era. Uh, end of an era. Starting with the X-Files uh, two-hour series finale, The Truth. No. 
Oh, we finally found out uh, where did Mulder go? <laughs> Why did David Duchovny disappear off the show for was, a season? Was he arrested? <laughs> yes. And well, he was. Yeah, he he was captured. Because I didn't I didn't see this. I was I was reading reviews of it at the time, and it it's surprisingly negative for the end of the X Files. The X Files lasted too long. Probably. Okay. Yeah. The X Files premiered at a time when it was competing with Walker Texas Ranger. <laughs> okay. And it ended when it was competing with The Sopranos. And a new Star Wars movie. It was just a different environment. When the X-Files started, they had no arcs, no plan for any lore. It was a total monster of the week show by purpose. And then in the ending of the first season, uh, the actress got pregnant and they had to come up with a reason. And they came up with a tie-in to... Fox Mulder's sister, and that started them having deep, long-lasting plot lines. But that wasn't the intention. It was all thrown together on the fly. There was no master plan. So by the time you reach 2002, they are have been spinning their wheels for years and years. And I, I don't like to bring this up all the time, but it's the post-9-11 world. Mm. You, you having this conspiracy thing going on in that environment is not the same as having it in the early 90s environment. It just wasn't. Uh, but this series finale had all the big stars, all the uh, old characters return, uh, lone gunmen, cigarette smoking man, and you know they stretch things. The lone gunmen are ghost, mm-hmm. and uh, the cigarette smoking man, despite everything he went through, isn't. And they bookend the series. Uh, this episode ends with a hotel room chat in which Mulder and Scully reminisce about the first hotel room chat they had in the first episode of the series. I quite like the dialogue. Uh, yeah, but uh, here's a little bit of that. If this is the truth that you've been looking for, then what is left to believe? I want to believe that the dead are not lost to us. That they speak to us. As part of something greater than us. Greater than any alien force. And if you and I are powerless now, I want to believe that if we listen to what's speaking, it can give us the power to save ourselves. Oh, oh, Mulder. But I, but from what I was reading, it bookended the series, but it didn't answer, like, not unlike my experience with Lost, it didn't tightly answer almost anything and instead added new details, including a 2012 alien invasion 10 years yep. after the finale, which I don't think yep. was, it was addressed anywhere. No, they and, just skipped over that. They set it on the date the Mayan calendar end mm-hmm. did the world, allegedly, which mm-hmm. I roll, but whatever, in 2002. And... I don't know. It sets up an interesting problem, though. You know, if aliens were going to invade the planet Earth on a specific date and are so technologically superior to us that we have no more chance of fighting them than the most technologically advanced ant colony has of fighting them, would you want the world to know it's going to end in 10 years? Would you want everyone to be like, nothing you do is going to matter because in 10 years, every last one of us is dead and there's nothing we can do about it? Uh, no, I would definitely not want people to know about it because uh, sure. that's when the raping starts. Because oh, there would be chaos okay. in the fucking streets. It would turn into the purge. Everything would turn into the purge if you're like, who fucking cares? We're all about to die. I was going to say it seemed kind of freeing, but I guess Diana answered both. <laughs> well, if it's a week from now, that's a little different than it's 
10 years 10 from years. now? 10 years no, from now. No, no, definitely don't tell people. So you'd be part of the government's conspiracy yes. to keep it quiet. 10 years Absolutely. from now, or X-Files will get it. you're already a member. Ooh. That's anti-Semitic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, 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 I only recently started watching the X-Files I watched them very sporadically, like after, like after The Simpsons. I've seen dozens and dozens of episodes, but nothing in order. And then I started, like, two Halloweens ago, I started watching it from the beginning. And, like, that show is fucking stellar for yeah. three or four seasons. One of the best yeah. things. And, like, I don't know. I guess they were shooting on film. It looks fucking great. It yep. looks great. And the more I read about these latter seasons, it has this odd, maybe you could even call it Star Warsian legacy of, like, Followed by a bad movie, followed by a bad reboot, <laughs> and and to the point where like I think Gillian Anderson's like I will never come back and do anything else. Like I'm mm. I'm not tarnishing the uh, original See, spirit. I, I, I've I haven't watched much of the X Files. I just missed it when it was on originally. But I've always intended to do a uh, speed binge. So my speed binge is I look up the top twenty episodes of mm. all time of a series and I watch that and I call it done. That yeah, is a great way to do X-Files. There's, yeah. I mean, more than 20 excellent episodes, but the 20 best episodes are mm-hmm. so fucking great. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some real highlights in there. That's a good way to do it. And if, then if you want to go back and do the rest, sure. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I did that with How I Met Your Mother, and I'm perfectly happy with that. You know, it just gave me everything I wanted from that series, and I didn't feel the need to come back. The final question, could you reboot the X-Files today? complete new actors the whole thing i don't yeah. i don't know how you do that given the nature of the internet now exactly yeah i mean like the, the very existence of the internet and camera phones mm-hmm. has decreased reports of ufos like a billion fold prove it dickhead like everybody has a phone in their pocket now and you see fewer ufo shots than ever fewer bigfoot footage than ever <laughs> but yeah i just I, I don't see how you do that we seem to it, we seem to, to prove and disprove everything we see in equal measure. I don't really see what the point of this kind of division of the FBI would be. Rebooted as a period film set in maybe. 1992. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Or earlier. Yeah. Even in the 70s. That could be neat. Ooh. Yeah, the grimy 70s. Ooh. That could work. Yeah, exactly. That could be fun. Um, yeah. yeah. Or reboot it, but it's not about aliens. It's about proving the world is flat. <laughs> Woo, to a much lesser extent, Roswell ends yeah. this week. Poor Roswell. Speaking of aliens, more aliens. Yeah, Buffy with aliens, Charmed with aliens, Dawson Creek with aliens. It ends with a marriage. The kids graduate high school, and the FBI discovers they are aliens. Cliffhanger, never resolved. Oh, okay. Well described, Roswell. And man, this is, for me, a little bit tragic. There are a few, there are a few uh, comedic, fun times that I, I'd say you can't recapture, but they sort of did. Talk soup. Another thing I'm not... How do you recapture it in a YouTube era? Um, I think that's exactly how you recapture it. I mean, like, uh, I don't want to watch every YouTube video. And uh, Tosh.0 is not on the air anymore. How am I supposed to see people throwing up and getting hit in the nuts? Yeah, I mean, well, when it came back as 2004 as the soup, it was less about talk shows and more about reality shows. Yeah, but it it, it. it more like... um, I think the show was super popular. I never saw the Greg Kinnear era. I love the John Henson era. And I've never had somebody I like so much fall off the map and never be seen again, except in like Wipeout. I think he left Talk Soup to like get his own talk show that never came to fruition. Uh, And then they tried to follow it up with both Hal Sparks and Aisha Tyler. And it just, Mm -hmm. I I think you lost something big with John Henson because he had just a great voice for just a show that recapped talk show footage 
for people who hate talk shows. And <laughs> it was fucking great. And it later gets resurrected as The Soup. The exact same format. People who hate reality shows recapping reality shows. And it, it didn't work for people who liked reality shows too. That's why it was on E. It was, it was, I couldn't, that was the strange thing is that they're mostly commenting on shows on the network they're on. Owned by the, <laughs> owned by their bosses. Synergy. But uh, yeah. I can't, the John Henson era talk soup is like lost to time. It was a daily show with a weekend edition. It's just gone because almost all their clips relied on other people's material. Yep. And it was came about before the internet age. Anywho. Uh, uh, this is making me feel extra old because I was a Greg Kinnear talk soup person. Yeah, I, I never saw That's I never saw an episode. I never saw an episode, but I became obsessed with the Henson era. And uh, uh, VIP ends this week. Super oh. complex plot. I, I'm glad they explain it every single week to the audience, because I don't know how you'd follow without that instruction manual. The beautiful and lethal Valerie Irons. Plucked from obscurity to head an elite Los Angeles bodyguard agency. They know how to get things done. Eventually. Oh, VIP. I did paint it in I mean, a different context if you've seen Pam and Tommy. Yep. The, these girls go undercover at every job. They go undercover at the strip clubs. They go undercover at the lingerie model places. They go undercover at the swimsuit competitions. All while never, you know. all while never leaving LA and no one recognizes them. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Ah, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, Pamela Anderson's follow up show. <laughs> yeah, trying, trying to get that Baywatch magic going and never really did capture it. None of the stars um, no. or spinoffs. Uh, Baywatch was its own thing, which is... Yeah, you know. I don't get it because this is just Charlie's Angels and yeah. people like that. That worked. Well, eh. it almost never worked again and so this that's why no, no network wanted to approach the show. They wanted that Pam Anderson Baywatch money and uh, I, I, th I, I think Pam Anderson is was plenty talented and like unearthly gorgeous. She mm. could have headed up a show like that. This just, I don't think this is what people wanted to see. And, and, and Baywatch was like a lot of different things in addition to the Pam Anderson show. But if you saw Pam and Tommy, they're not giving her good stuff to work with. And she, her, yeah. her star's on fire. She had to leave. Anyway, a show, another show I liked and you can't see it all anymore is the Andy Dick show. And I love so it. So Andy Dick wrote and directed every episode of this show. Oh, dear. Which is a fuck ton of work to do for any TV show. You know, he also has a history of cocaine addiction. Really? So I wonder how he found the energy to do that. I, mm. I love this show. It was primarily a parody of everything else that was on MTV at the time. <laughs> and then a little bit, his Matthew Lesko parody, free, I'll give you a coffee shop for free. I, 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 loved, I loved this show, but like all MTV shows of the era, MTV signed that made every music label sign that stupid deal. We can use your songs as much as we want on the air. And none of these MTV shows can run anywhere anymore. If you look like uh, Paramount Plus has the MTV label and like all the shows you want to see are not there because of how intertwined they are with music they don't own. And the Andy Dick oh. show is one of them. And uh, uh, Andy Dick is out, about to have a rough 20 years after this end. He, uh, he does not end up in good places. No. Uh, I haven't no. heard from him lately. Um, uh, yeah, if you Google him, you'll find some oh uh, not great I stuff. I don't want to. Uh, due to his own decisions, to be clear. The, the show Beastmaster ends? Holy Lord. 
Wow. Yeah, you know, back in the day, HBO standed for, hey, Beastmaster's on, and they wanted to recapture that magic with the I've never TV heard show. that before. That's so <laughs> Again, it's a sign of the 90s ending. It was that <clears throat> cheesy Hercules, Xena vibe going down, and uh, it's just over and forgotten even among Beastmaster fans. <laughs> <laughs> there are dozens of us. The Lost World ends this week as well. Uh, so this is based upon the public domain book by the same author who did Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You know, I definitely see the logic here. It's the Jurassic Park's one, two, and three are all huge. We've got this name. Let's make it. Cheesy effects. Uh, not great acting or writing, kind of lost to time. Also this week on TV, Jeopardy host, hosted a million-dollar Masters tournament giving away a $1 million grand prize. Yeah, we never talk about when we talk about how popular Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is. We don't talk about how that screwed over Jeopardy. Yeah. They had to start raising <laughs> the amount on the prizes. Going home with $400. $400. Yeah. <laughs> so the question is... For $1 million, mm -hmm. who was the only vice president to be elected vice president and then go on to serve two full terms as president? Lyndon oh, Johnson. As president? No. No, that's not a full term as president. Uh, it's got to be oh, McGinley. No. I, I almost want to say Nixon, but no, Nixon uh, resigned. Jed Bartlett. The correct answer is Thomas Jefferson. Ah, Thomas Jefferson okay. was vice president and then went on to serve two, two full two terms. terms. Yep. Oh, I remember this Hamilton song and everything. That's what I get for walking backwards instead of starting forwards. I would have gotten it if I had started at the beginning. Um, and then also out this week, HBO movie Path to War with Michael Gambon, Donald Sutherland, Alec Baldwin, Bruce McGill. Oh, so many people. HBO movies. Does HBO still yeah. make movies? I'm confused. Yeah. I mean, they seem to be moving into miniseries that might yeah. as well be movies, like The Staircase just dropped. And it's like, that could be a two-part movie why is this an eight-part miniseries but hbo was like the king of what would become oscar bait <laughs> like yeah. 10 years later the based on a true story this the the moment of world war ii where we almost lost like hbo did all that shit and um yeah so yeah it's where that yeah we just talked about the um was it the before the storm with coming storm yeah. about yeah. world war ii path to war is well speaking of lbj michael gambon as lbj about increasing american involvement in vietnam and it's fucking excellent and it's directed by john frankenheimer it's his wow. last film wow. who directed everything wow. from the manchurian candidate through ronin i i was i was a little hesitant i'm like michael gambon is lbj nah it's freaking great it and, was really really good and lastly and obviously most importantly um the best thing about attack of the clones yes a hundred percent people forget this, about that you know, a lot of people say that the best thing about Phantom Menace is the pod racer game. Mm -hmm. This is 100% the best thing about Attack of the Clones. I, I love Conan O'Brien himself said, I do not watch clips of myself and I had no, almost nothing to do with this. And I still think it's the funniest 10 minutes on television that's ever happened. And I think he might be correct. Triumph the Insult Comic Dog attends the Star Wars Attack of the Clones premiere and I mean, this is like, uh, I feel this is like in tandem with like being able to put video on the internet. I wanted to watch this all the time. This this is one of the first videos that I downloaded yeah. onto my computer and watched over and over again. Yeah. There was no YouTube. There was no nothing. Real I have player. no idea where I got it. It's, I, somehow I got it. And I was like, I showed it to my everyone in Japan I knew who 
spoke English, I showed them this clip at some point in time. Oh. It lived on my hard drive for my entire time yeah, in Japan yeah. just so I could show it to people. I, yeah. I have every moment it, of this memorized. It did make me think though that like where has nerd culture gone in 20 years where it's mm -hmm. like yeah people lining up to see a star wars movie yeah they're nerds they play with plastic toys they're dressed up they're idiots whatever you'll never you'll never kiss a girl and now it just seems like passe well i i think i that's because nerddom is so popular right you yeah. know also i feel uh, like we don't have to line up for shit got assigned seats now my amc app but i think it's it's also i grew up what i felt like a nerd and was pretty sensitive about. It. I watched shit like G four and like, man, all these models reading these teleprompters better quit calling people nerds. Fuck that shit. But but it's Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. He shows up at every venue to make fun of people at that venue, whether it's a Bon Jovi concert or the Westminster Dog Show. So it's not. I didn't get <laughs> Both like gold. Both gold. Yeah, I didn't get nerd rage over this just because no. he's doing everything he can to us. Ins- can't. Every line is gold. Yeah. Like every line in this. Uh, me and my friends quoted it to each other yeah. for years just because it's hilarious. More, more so it's, than yeah. some other triumphants. You can see Smigel lose, hear him losing it <laughs> trying to deliver lines he wrote because it's just so absurd saying this to a human being's face, like to the lone woman. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Look, among the nerds, I found an actual girl here. Look at this. Not, not too shabby around here, huh, honey? The male-female ratio, yeah? I mean, you've got your ver- veritable pick of the litter. You can choose from all of all kinds of guys who have no idea how to please you. <laughs> he just barely gets it out. <laughs> yeah, it's same with uh, when he sees a pregnant lady. So what's going on here? You've got a little future nerd in here? Yes, yes, future nerd, future Jedi. When is he due? June 27th, six weeks. Wow. <laughs> That's the last time he'll ever see female genitalia. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. And Do you like spoilers? Because here's a spoiler. You will die alone. You will die alone. Which one of these buttons calls your parents to come pick you up? Uh, <laughs> that, yeah. If you haven't followed Triumph, you should. Because Triumph, I don't know what the ownership is. I think Robert Smigel has to have some ownership of Triumph. He's made at least one album. He's had numerous comedy specials, does stuff on Conan, and now does stuff on Colbert. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Triumph chasing around Ted Cruz? These are things that no, exist. but I want to. He has Hulu yes. election specials, and if you like Black Wolf, the guy in the Lord of the Rings outfit with a filet of fish, he appears in a recent Triumph thing in character. Again. Yep. I, I, do have, happy. I do have some terrible news, though. Black Wolf the Dragon Master has mm-hmm. passed away. No! Really? Did he really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. He passed away a couple months ago. I was trying to find out what happened, if it was COVID or... What? But no, he was a guy who would dress up as like a medieval wizard and like busk for money near Bethesda Fountain. And so Ooh. it was not a Lord of the Rings thing. That's just what that guy did. Right. And he just comes over to hang out with the other nerds. And just, <laughs> oh, just just the, the last bit of bringing Spock out to get the line, the finger. So, <laughs> so good. Look that up if you haven't seen it. It is a guaranteed lore. F- All Triumph stuff is. Oh, man. I, I admit I went down a rabbit hole, but. That was a lucky thing because I found out my second favorite Triumph Insult comic dog bit will turn 10 in like a couple weeks. Oh, really? Oh, it came up right next. It's when they go to Chicago to a certain restaurant. Oh, oh. (laughs) Yeah, where they go to Wiener Circle, which is notorious for having very mean people, mean staff. Yeah. Jack McBrayer there, who's the nicest person. 
oh. to see what happens. <laughs> I'm excited because I've never seen this. I've never heard of oh this skit. Oh my god, my stomach still hurts. So Do yourself so, like the funniest thumbnail in the world, in the whole world. Just go to YouTube and put Triumph Times Square, and it's just Triumph standing among bootleg Elmos and Buzz Lightyears, and it's the funniest fucking thumbnail I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> God, I love Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. More Triumph. 2002 yeah. video games. Ugh. Dragon Ball Z, The Legacy of Goku on uh, GBA. Uh, this is a Zelda clone, but a pretty decent yeah. one. It tries to tell the first three seasons of Dragon Ball Z, which is probably a mistake because it's too dense to try to wrap up in a video game like that. But uh, the game itself, if you like Zelda clones, it's a decent one. Um, and then Final Fantasy Eleven on PS2. Is that really its launch? Holy shit. Yeah. This game it, it, is it, still playable. It's a massive multiplayer online role-playing game. Mm -hmm. And the makers had zero experience with MMOs. None. But they went... We've got the Final Fantasy name. How can we lose? And they couldn't because they had the Final Fantasy name. Well, I, I mean, the people I know who play that obsess over it and reminisce about it. I, I mean, I think it's still available to play for money. 20 years later, not many MMOs can say that. It sucked for me because I just played Final Fantasy X. Like, can't wait till the next one. Oh, I need a fucking exclusive hard drive and modem to play this on with my PS2. Did the PS2 come no. with a modem? Or, no, you <laughs> no. had to get one? No, I was reminded of that if you played the Astro, uh, Astrobot demo on your PS5. You collect both the modem and the hard drive were separate. Separate <laughs> to play online. And the modem included broadband and 56K as if like, yeah, they're the same. Like, we'll just throw all these people in the same, in one room. Like, that, that's a, that, that'll work for an online game. So, so ridiculous. Well, let's close out 2002, because we still have to get into 2012. And let's close out with perhaps the most star-studded video about stars from a star. It's Moby doing We Are All Made of Stars. If you've never seen that music video, there's a ton of celebrities in it. That's what, that's what the joke is. But we'll be right back, so don't go anywhere. People that come together. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner, where we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of May 13th through 19th, I got another music recommendation I gotta throw out. A classic album with an even more classic cover. Rio by Duran Duran turns 40 this week, coming out in 1982. Man, does that still slap, but it sounds like, when I think of what the 80s sounds like, it kind of sounds like Hungry Like the Wolf, I gotta admit it. Like, that is about as 80s as you can get. Such a good album if you just need to pop around the house doing chores or whatever. Rio by Duran Duran, freaking awesome. And then the same week, also turning 40 in 1982, is one of the craziest movies. Um, but the one that gave us our least likely movie star, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Conan the Barbarian, turns 40 this week. Directed by John Milius, written by him and Oliver Stone, based on the Robert E. Howard stories. So I just rewatched this, um, and people have opinions, so we will be talking about it more in depth uh, on bonus time, which you can get 
by going to patreon.com slash laser time and subscribing. It's not really what you remember. I think if you saw this as a kid, I think you'll be kind of surprised at how odd it is because it's practically a silent film and has a lot less action than you remember, but it's also so imitated. And I don't, it's like hard to pin down how the imitators like Beastmaster fail so horribly. Deathstalker, looking at you. And <laughs> Conan the Barbarian just like is eminently watchable. Could it be James Earl Jones and his snake cult? Probably. It's probably just James Earl Jones and his cool snake cult. He turns into a snake and just wanders off. And you're like, oh, is he going to fight the big snake at the end? No, he just felt like turning into a snake right now. It's just weird. It's a weird movie. It's beautiful. Uh, shot it out in Spain where they used to shoot a bunch of spaghetti westerns. And uh, yeah, total recommend. Just so surprised by rewatching it, how it was not the way I remembered it. It's it's damn interesting. So yeah, Conan the Barbarian, 1982. That's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming in 2012 with Better Than I Know Myself by Adam Lambert off of Trespassing, the first album by an openly gay artist to debut at number one. Really? Yeah. Oh, openly gay being the key there. Yeah, openly that's the key word. Yeah. The key. And I was trying to think, okay, who else are we talking about? And George Michael's kind of the only one I can think of off the top of my head. But, he, but Jeez, not while now, he was openly now, gay. Now yeah. I want to go down a rabbit hole of who was the first openly gay artist because even Boy George claimed to be bi. Yeah, so did so did Elton John. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so <laughs> yeah, I guess you know it probably is Elton John. Now I think about it, you go farther back before he was openly gay, but yeah. I mean, actually, I mean, there's probably somebody in the 50s. I'm thinking of Leslie Gore. You know what? I bet you it's Leslie <laughs> Gore. She was not out. But she was gay. Well, you don't think Liberace had a number one no, album? I, I really feel like the openly is the key part. Yeah, of yeah. Even well, he was there yeah. were so yeah. many artists who, yeah. All right, all right. Well, this is that could be like, hey, want to do a podcast? I think we just gave you a topic. Like uh, <laughs> that, that that would be an interesting thing to try and chronicle. But also in music this week, May thirteenth to the nineteenth of twenty twelve, we got uh, Bloom by Beach House, the most expensive tickets I've ever purchased and. For a show I never attended. I'm just kind of shaking my fist at an ex-girlfriend. Uh, the Only Place by Best Coast. Uh, R.A.P. Music by Killer Mike. Uh, Kick It and Screamin' by Chris Calico. Storm and Grace by Lisa Marie Presley. Ten Stories by Me Without You. And Spirit in the Room. Tom Jones' 39th album. 39. Yeah. Somebody that I used to know by Godier is still number one. Welcome to 2012. A little bit of news to bring you into the world. 49 dismembered bodies are found on a Mexican highway as part of a Mexican drug war, thus making every Breaking Bad plotline plausible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the news is very good at covering events, very bad at covering trends. Mm -hmm. And the Mexican drug war is one of those things where it's a constant drip, 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 and then there's an occasional news item when it goes really big like this, and then we go back to the drip, drip, drip. I looked into it. In the 21st century, around 280,000 Mexicans have died in their drug war, and an additional 85,000 are missing. Okay. To put that in perspective, there's various different accounts of this. So this is at the low end. 
but the Iraqi Body Count Project projects total violent deaths, including combatants in the Iraqi war, at 288,000. So the Mexican drug war could plausibly more deaths than the Iraqi war. Oh, my God. All in an effort to give us drugs and uh, via guns they get from us. (laughs) Yes. Oh, Unbelievable. Also this week, Stanford University scientists develop a prototype bionic eye. I remember reading about it at the time, and I was expecting it to be bigger by now, 10 years later than it is. You mean like a Mad-Eye Moody situation, a giant eye? (laughs) Uh, We're chugging along, but we're making progress. And, you know, my eyes aren't great, so Mm -hmm. I'm really holding up hope that, you know, in 40 years or even 20 to 30, if I'm unlucky, I may be able to get something that works. Who knows? I, I have so little awesome. so little knowledge of science, but our eyes to me seem like A, fucking miracles, and B, like these fragile things that I'm surprised don't break and fall out <laughs> and get knocked out more than they do. The amount of mm. times I hit my face on something at random, but my body knows to protect my eyeball immediately. I just don't get it. I don't get it. It's so cool. And, that would uh, be neat. I mean... If it could work with someone who's blind because not just like their eyes don't work, but, you know, just like the optic nerves work and all Mm -hmm. that. Or is it just like, yeah, can they just do it as a replacement for my eyes that blow? That'd be pretty cool. I don't think they can do it now, but 20, 30 years, we'll see. Let's give them some Um, time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like a, a cochlear implant, but for eyes. Yes. The dark side to this is some of the first people to receive bionic eyes. The companies that have made some of those models have gone out of business and no one oh. now supports them. Oh, so shit. there are people with the equivalent of an iPhone one, except for their eye and no one's making parts for that. So mm. that breaks, they go back to being blind. And on oh, one hand, that's on. sad. On the other hand, they got 10 years of sight seeing when they didn't, but it's still one of those things when you're like, pick your bionics carefully, you know, go for a company that you think will be around for the next 20 to 30 years. Don't, don't use a newbie brand bionic eyes, what uh, I'm other, trying to tell us. Otherwise you'll have to mm-hmm. be subject to service at like a mall kiosk or a strip mall. Hey, I thought you were segueing into, with robot eyes, into the next bit of news. Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> at the age of 28, marries Priscilla Chan. He marries human woman. <laughs> I'm honestly kind of mildly surprised he married that young. I mean, 28's not super young to be married, but he is also a billionaire. I'm just thinking a lot of 28-year-old billionaires might be, you know what? Maybe I just want an endless string of supermodels until I'm 50. Yeah, but I think history has shown Zuckerberg wants something else, and it's kind of scary. He doesn't care about needs of the flesh. He power. Mm. He desires power uh, more than anything else. Anyway, moving to the movies of 2012, Avengers is still number one at the box office. And <laughs> shocking, shocking. We also have some mo- new movies to talk about. I have never heard of this. Zach Galifianakis, Paul Rudd, Adam Carolla, Jason Bateman, and Will Arnett in Mansum. Yeah, I, those are basically yeah, cameos. Because okay. it's it's sort of a documentary ah. uh, by Morgan Spurlock. Oh, so it's, yeah. you know, like uh, Super Size Me about the, you know, men's grooming and how men are very vain, just like women are. And it's weird, like the, the reviews on this split really evenly where people either really liked it or they really hated it. Mm. Like some, they said, oh, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting. And looking at like, yeah, these things that we tend to think of as like feminine traits 
like getting your eyebrows threaded and guys doing that and other people saying like this is pointless and shabby and insufferable and metrosexuals are so yesterday i mean come on yeah i do remember the metrosexual craze being early 2000s not 2000 teens exactly so. yeah that's so confusing so, yeah maybe not um, and then a uh, movie I, I think it was at the premiere of, Frances Ha, Greta Gerwig's, is she directorial debut? No, it's, it's Noah Baumbach. Oh, right. She co-wrote. She co-wrote Noah it. yeah. And Mickey Sumner. Yeah, once again, my ex is a big Greta Gerwig fan, and I saw every yeah, movie I, she did. It's tough, because like, I love Greta Gerwig. I I like Noah Baumbach. Um, I feel like I'm a bad film snob for merely liking his stuff, but... I appreciate that this is, it, it feels like a very French New Wave film where it's just yeah. like, we're just going to follow this person through her travails. And they're they're pretty low stakes, but they're interesting. But it's I'm also in, like, it's in black and white, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. in black and white. And she's, you know, uh, works for a dance company, but her career's going nowhere. And, you know, she's got a friend over here and then there's problems with this friend over there and this guy and uh, she can't afford her rent. So she's got to move to this other place. And, you know, it's one of those like extremely slice of life things that feels very real. But then at the end, sometimes you're like, you know, is this is what I go to the movies for? So a lot of people know they really don't. That's ex my exact thought coming out of this. I am a film snob. I would love to see a black and white independent movie. And then I walked out like, I don't care about that at all. Like th that story mm -hmm. wasn't very compelling or very interesting. And it's it, yeah. like not bad. It's just that like. Why did you commit to putting that on film? Because it's well mm. done and like well acted and has funny moments. It's just like, man, it just uh, to have make no impression on me. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting to see it compared to Girls a lot, where it's yeah. like it, it, it's like a slice of life of people who are just they're trying but they don't know what they're doing. And I, I, I thought know. I thought maybe yeah. I had I had aged out of whatever that was because like. I'm not young anymore and I'm not confused about the world and I may have found my place in it for better for... Anyway, anyway. Also out this week, oh, another star-studded Hollywood rom-com to beat the shit out of Francis Ha. Thomas Lennon, Joe Manganiello, Ben Falcone, Rodrigo Santoro, Chris Rock, Dennis Quaid, Matthew Morrison, Chase Crawford, uh, Anna Kendrick, Elizabeth Banks, Brooklyn Decker, Jennifer Lopez, and Cameron Diaz. What to expect when you're expecting... Oh, finally, we have the filmic follow-up to Dr. Spock's Baby in Child Care. <laughs> I think every advice book should be made into a fucking rom-com. It's weird how this is the second non-fiction book to be turned into a fictional yeah. rom-com in a row, because I'd never heard of that happening. Think like a man. <sighs> act like a lady yeah mm -hmm. you're right oh my god mm -hmm. i didn't even put those two together yeah so i mean i guess it's just brand recognition but because it just is like a bunch of stories uh, of like different kinds of pregnancies and uh, believe it or not i enjoyed it i yeah, uh, i watched yeah. this i thought my wife and i got married around almost the exact same time all of our friends got married and then we had babies around the exact same time all of our friends started having babies. And there is such a wide range of pregnancy experience. There mm -hmm. really is. If you have a, a large social reference group, you will encounter so many different pregnancy journeys. And this film does a pretty decent job of capturing them all. I thought the weakest part of this was the comedic elements. I thought mm -hmm. it uh, went too sitcom -y at times mm -hmm. there were a lot of really moving scenes there's this one subplot where a girl has a one-night stand it results in a pregnancy the couple isn't sure uh, what to do they decide to keep the baby and then the baby is lost in a miscarriage 
And that was honestly a moving little subplot for me. I thought it was uh, honest and true and well done. But then the next scene, there's the wacky shamackety antics coming on. (laughs) And uh, I thought they should have just made this a straight drama with some light sprinkling of comedy instead of really shaking it pretty hard to get it in. Wouldn't wouldn't it be interesting to watch this movie when uh, there is no choice to be made? Mm. (laughs) sorry sorry i brought it back to real life Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah it's like i i saw what they're going for and that is one of those things that's like yeah as you get older and all your friends start having babies you start learning so much about so it's such a weird thing that you put your body through mm -hmm. and there's so much to learn in a very short amount of time even though it takes you better part of a year to have that baby and there's yeah all everyone is different and all situations are different. Yeah, sitcomy is how I felt about it too. Mm-hmm. I yeah. still recommend it, though. Mm-hmm. I still thought it was good. And then moving on to <laughs> moving on, comedy. the reason Ryan Seacrest at the Oscar red carpet got the ashes of Kim Jong Il thrown on him. <laughs> <laughs> JB Smoove, uh, John C. Riley, Megan Fox, Ben Kingsley, Jason Manzukis, Anna Ferris, and Sasha Baron Cohen. It's the dictator. In his country, he was on top. Find your mark. Get set. But in America, welcome to New York City. No one will recognize you without this. He'll have to start at the bottom. Is there any way you could lend me some money? Maybe $20 million. Sasha Baron Cohen. Stop that. Shut up, loser. Clean up on aisle four. The dictator. Can you take out the garbage? The dictator, man, I cannot tell you how much I love Sasha Baron Cohen and mm-hmm. what he does, except when one, and I love his, his his acting work, except when his acting work is in one of his own narrative films. Yeah. I, I just, oh man, I, even like rewatching Ali G, I was like, ugh. And then uh, the Brothers Grimsby, is that the other one? Mm-hmm. Ugh. And just, but everything else, the Borats, the Brunos, uh, who is America? I could watch that over and over and over and over again. And this is just like, the thing you least want to see Sasha Baron Cohen doing. It's so strange. Got it. I disagree. I actually really enjoyed this movie because it's not just a narrative film. He's clearly making a whole bunch of political points Yes, and doing a whole bunch of embarrassing things in public still, even though it is not an ad-libbed movie, like mm-hmm. like something like Borat. There, there's still some elements of that, of him going out in character as this, you know, very Gaddafi, Kim Jong-il type guy, dictator in New York, but... You know, he's been replaced by his his uh his, his life model decoy mm-hmm. in a terrible plot. And now he's got to like try to get his country back. But then also he meets Anna Faris as just like a regular person who then, of course, finds out what a fucking awful person, <laughs> what a goddamn monster he is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, to combine, you know, the, the sort of gonzo thing, man on the street stuff that he does with a narrative film, like this is about as good as you're going to do it. This is his bad grandpa. <laughs> yeah yeah i just I, I i love his other stuff so much more by comparison like i would i would watch i would watch borat 2 twice before i'd watch the dictator again um i think it's a one and done film i think it's probably worth watching once but i would never feel the need to watch it again it's it's fine it's definitely his sense of humor tacked on to a narrative plot mm-hmm. yeah 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 
Yeah, I mean, like I saw it back in the day and I thought oh, that was pretty fun. And then rewatching it for the show was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that part I liked and that part I liked and that part I liked. And yeah, oh, yeah. all right. I, it, it wasn't like a rediscovery of, oh my God, I've been missing this whole time. But it was like, that was I mean, more you, fun could, than you, I could, you could be right. Cause like what else is coming out now or in the future that will ever be like the dictator, even though it is, uh, it's like a, uh, edgier Prince and the Popper or Moon over Parador. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I will watch it 24 hours straight rather than watch our next movie again. Dude. I did not think in an episode where we were talking about a Star Wars prequel, there would be a movie that is worse. I, <laughs> oh my God. I did almost watch this 24 hours straight. Yeah. It, it, it's going to be the, the answer to that anecdote is going to be such a letdown. Robin Atkin Downs, uh, Jerry Ferrara, Jesse Plemons, Hamish Linklater, Peter McNichol, Asano uh, Tab- Tadanabu, Rihanna, Brooklyn Decker again, Taylor Kitsch, the Kiss of Death, uh, and, and Alexander Sarsgaard, uh, based on the popular Milton Bradley game, it's Battleship. Sir, take a look at this. Just fished him right out of the water. Oh my God. I want everything loaded. We're looking at a global extinction event. They've created a barrier. Radar sound. We do have somebody inside. It's your ship, sir. We need you now. Light him up. Come on! <laughs> oh. Uh, man. So I get Here's... that no IP is worse than any IP, but making a movie yeah. about Battleship, it's like... Okay, I could I could actually see you making a Candyland game. Yeah. Like, Candyland has an... Uh, mythos characters. it's like a land of candy it has fantastic uh, visuals it's uh, fucking characters <laughs> characters battleship is just ships in a water shooting at each other because they're in a battle yeah. that's it. it any any war movie with a warship is a battleship movie <laughs> it's like okay? it's like making a world of tanks movie today which i think i yes that was that's just been greenlit uh, oh, dear God. No. yeah i have to say the biggest warning sign of any movie ever is when the ad says from the company that brought you <laughs> Transformers. That's, that's what I, I thought. Like you, we have reached the end of brand synergy. The, like you, you have exhausted the public's willingness to follow you along with this, with mm. battleship. The idea that like, we want to see movies made out of your toys or like, even your your board game? Are you nuts? Are you nuts? And it was it was satisfying to watch this fail. And I re- I rarely ever take that position because I want to. But like, do you think this movie could have fared better if it were called anything else? Yeah. <laughs> if it, like, yeah. I think if it was an original IP, yeah. you would have had more interest in it yeah. because I I think it's such a mockable concept to make a movie out of Battleship the game because okay, there's. There's one scene in this movie where they got the grid and they're going like C9. And I guarantee you that in like the 100 million people who have seen this in theaters, no one person jumped up and said, yes, they said the battleship line. They said the C9. Yes, they're staying true to battleship lore. Yeah, that never would ever happen anywhere. So why make you gotta this steal film. Jim Carrey's Batman Forever line. B12. Also my favorite vitamin, I might add. 
It's <laughs> only good uh, yeah. battleship jokes. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, the basic idea is it's an alien invasion movie where they put a giant dome over Hawaii at the same time <laughs> that the Navy is out doing exercises. So the only thing that can fight them is the Navy. Um, and you think, well, that's a pretty fair fight with, you know, like modern carriers and stuff. But then they like fuck up all the modern carriers. And then the best thing that's ever happened ever they bring out the USS Missouri, yeah. which we just talked about as being the place where the Japanese surrender was signed in 1945. <laughs> and apparently it's gassed up and ready to go. And they get like a couple World War II vets, like five guys can man the entire thing. And they're like, get it. Like, all right, let's show them how it's done, boys. And it's so, so embarrassing. The whole thing is so embarrassing. And here's yeah. the thing that makes me sad. I think it's well directed. Peter, I love and Peter Berg. And it's directed by Peter Berg. Yeah. Who's made good movies and is a pretty good actor. It was awesome in Shocker. Oh. Two hours and 10 minutes. Yeah. This is a two hour and 10 minute film. Yeah. Why? I, I don't know. I, I will say that when they did get to the point where it's like they're out there <clears> near <throat> the buoys and it's a grid and then we can shoot at them. I was like, they had to. If this scene wasn't here... They would feel like they had failed. And yet this scene is, they're looking at a screen and they're saying, uh, I think we got a hit. <laughs> they're like, well, that's exciting. I mean, oh, it's so dumb. It is so, it is so dumb, you guys. I, I mean, you uh, read about it all the, like Adam Sandler's Monopoly movie greenlit and like, uh, what happened? I woke up and all my money's a different color. Like, just stop doing this. Like, there's so many great ways to license these products anyway. I'll wear a Monopoly shirt. Monopoly video games are great. Battleship's awesome. I love Battleship the game. It's just like not, not something that needs to translate into a narrative film. And I remember when I finally decided to watch it, I was on a plane to or from Japan. And I tuned into one of those pay-per-view stations on a plane, you know, that like runs the same movie continuously on a loop. Oh. I fell asleep, I think 16 times. The whole flight, I didn't take my headphones off. And never pause battleship. Battleship and I I have I still don't think I've seen the whole thing. I fell asleep over and over and over again. It was so just mind-numbingly stupid. It, I, I couldn't even laugh at it. I thought it was gonna be the perfect plane movie. But mm -hmm. I but somewhere in registered my brain's hard drive that I can't access is like 20 hours of the battleship movie that got <laughs> pumped into my head. I want to take us back to 2012 for Please. a second, okay? Mm -hmm. Picture anywhere this. but here. You are a genuinely talented actor. No. You've starred in a critically acclaimed TV show where your performance is given outstanding reviews. Everyone has loved you. You are signed to two movies where you are the star. Mm -hmm. Both of those movies, one is the most expensive movie ever made. The other is easily another $100 million movie. And both of those films bomb ridiculously hard within about two months of each other. Mm -hmm. How much did it suck to be Taylor Kitsch in that two-month period? I mean, oh. you're going like, oh, I, I'm in the biggest bomb of all time, but at least I got Battleship coming out in a few months. Uh, so make everybody oh. forget about X-Men Origins Wolverine and the worst gambit that's ever oh. been on screen. Oh. <laughs> and then nothing happened to him. He uh, he uh, He's still acting, but not in big roles, and yeah. he's... He's he's a good actor, but he gets yeah. nothing. And I think it's that one-two punch. And it wasn't his fault. He signed no. up for huge, huge projects. I, I think he took the same trajectory any actor in his in his status, the same trajectory any other actor would have taken. Yeah. It's just we were making the shittiest fucking movies possible at the time. Yeah. 
And do I hope- you want to star in two movies, both of which, if you add up their budgets, it's half a billion dollars? Mm. What actor is going to turn down the starring role in those two films? I, I you called- know, I, I appreciate that it is here because I feel like Taylor Kitchen, Hayden Christensen have a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Talk to Hayden. Hayden talk to him. Support group. Uh, television yeah. can be redemptive. He was great. Kitch is great on True Detective and Waco. If you didn't see Waco, he plays David Koresh. It's awesome. But I, I like the guy, but it is hilarious to me that every cinematic property he touched turned to shit. And, mm. and not not that he touched. It has very little to do with him. He was yeah. okay in... Uh, uh, never mind. John Carter. I, I know, but like, you know, that, that movie that movie had problems out the, out the wazoo. I, but whatever. Battleship. It came out, and I think <laughs> due to its failure, it's like we staved off a plague of Milton Bradley movies. I, mm. There's oh. one good board game movie, and it's called Clue. And- yep. Oh, Clue's amazing. Yeah. yeah. But but think of it this way, Chris. Because w- this bombed, we never got the NC-17 Twister movie that we deserve. <laughs> I mean, I you know, I could show you plenty online, G- uh, GR. <laughs> but yeah, moving into television 2012. May oh, 30- uh, oh, sorry. Wait. Last thing. Battleship right. ends with sequel bait. Mm-hmm. I love bomb moves oh, yeah. that ends with sequel bait. I've been looking for some master cut, you know, with like the sequel bait to Super Mario Brothers, the movie, and then yeah. the sequel bait to this, and just like a master cut of all these sequel baits to bombs. So if someone has that out there, please let me know. Yeah, the last one I can remember seeing in theaters was The Predator and just laughing at the audacity that you thought this was going somewhere. <laughs> Holy shit. And then moving on to television, 2012, May 13th to the 19th, uh, season finale of 30 Rock. What will happen to the gang next year? <laughs> so Jack and Avery start to try to get married. And when they ask, is, are there any objections? No one objects. And they go, come on. We are clearly wrong for e- each other. Why is no one objecting to this? <laughs> uh, but my, my favorite line, and it stuck with me forever, is where Kenneth goes, and to think I thought Hazel was a bitch. Friendly and loyal, like a well-trained female dog. But she isn't a bitch. She's a meanie pants. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Bitch should not be an insult. Bitch (laughs) is such a wonderful thing. All my dogs have been bitches, and they've been awesome, and I've loved them to death. That should not be an insult. Bitches are friendly and loyal. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I didn't know JR was going to go all Meredith Brooks on this, but. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, bitch stands for being in total control of herself. Ah, put on a t shirt. Oh. I've already seen that. Or a rose koozie. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's wine o'clock, guys. Uh, and, and then also, must see television. What was up with this? Three episodes of community air in one night. What They're it? burning them. Burning it cool. off because Dan is. Fire. Oh, he is fired at this point. publicly. So I got to think they just went, we are burning this all off in one night and you're gone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the the last episode is called Introduction to Finality. So it like almost every season of Community sets up to be a conclusion at the season finale. But these are some amazing episodes. They really are. We've got the digital estate planning, which is they go into the uh, 8-bit computer game. Mm Mm-hmm. And, I love this episode, and I am not even a gamer, but that's the level of gaming I'm good at. You know, direction pad and, and A to jump. And <laughs> oh my god, that game is so goddamn funny. And then oh, so figures out that if he has children, he can program them to do tasks, and it's all sweet until you go, and it 
turns out he's made it a huge giant slave mine of his own children so they can breed more and more coders to give him more and more power. Yeah, but he realizes that it's like, oh, he's found the perfect woman for him. Someone who talks in dialogue trees, which he can understand very easily without the complicated emotions. <laughs> so he's in love now. <laughs> uh, the next episode, the first Chang Dynasty, is a total spoof of heist films. And that episode of Rick and Morty, oh, which man. makes fun of heist films, owes 75% of you it of to bitch. this community I'm episode. Kidding. It looks like the end of community. It's so weird. 10 years ago, it looks like this is the closest it looked like community would end. Yeah. And and, and here we are 10 years later, and we're not sure community's over. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they'll come out with a movie. You know, this episode ended with the hashtag six seasons in a movie because they very much wanted to keep going. Introduction to Finality also has an appearance of Evil Abed, mm -hmm. uh, which is always a fan favorite, and I love <laughs> to see him. But yeah, yeah, uh, there was a very, very public firing. We the about chairman it, of NBC publicly stated that Hammond was sure to be involved somehow. And then Dan, using his amazing managerial skills, publicly went and said he pro that NBC executive meant to say he's sure cookies are yummy because he's never called me once in the entire duration of his employment <laughs> at NBC. I would be offering thoughts on other people's scripts, not allowed to rewrite them, not allowed to ask anyone else to rewrite them, not allowed to say whether a single joke was funny or go near the edit bay. I'm not saying you can't make a good version of Community without me, but I am definitely saying that you can't make my version of it unless I have the option of saying it has to be like this or I quit eight times a day. And mm -hmm. that's what he publicly stated. Oh, I miss, so, I miss messy Dan Harmon. Yeah, it was a public breakup and Dan didn't do himself any favors, honestly. He's it, yep. he landed on his feet, people. Don't worry, he's he's all right. Yeah, he landed on his feet. He ends up coming back, but then yeah, the fourth season, which people say sucks, it doesn't. It's no, fine. It's, it's fine. Just, it's, it's just not as good. It's not amazing as two and three, which are just yeah. some of the best seasons in all of television history, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Oh yeah, yeah. And, it, it, oh, that, and that's I why I gotta go rewatch digital estate planning. That's why you. Uh, that's that's why so I, I personally don't like the fourth season because it's like they were on a roll. And the four mm. season puts a stop to that. Yeah. And, and it's all because of a drunken phone rant. Yeah. I really feel like if we talked about it on yeah. the show, it hadn't been read at a crew party, we would have gotten that fourth season that we deserved. Well, you know, the only thing keeping us from a community movie. No. Mm -hmm. Sony owning a streaming service, which they, they currently do not. They are one of the few studios left parsing their mm -hmm. content out to different streaming services and in theaters. But the second they come up with one, which I don't know that they will, or they're sold to one, we'll get a community movie, period. And mm -hmm. I'm sure Netflix is interested, but like we're seeing now, I don't think Netflix is going to dump millions into stuff that can be taken away from them that they don't own. But yeah, Sony streaming service will get a community movie. Speaking of television... What a terrible segue in the television segment. Desperate Housewives <laughs> ends on ABC. Speaking uh, of the subject we're speaking of. <laughs> it's a satire. Uh, yeah, Desperate Housewives was huge. And it was part of the TV renaissance, you know, high-end quality network television of the lost thing. But it made the mistake of not being for nerds because there is not the desperate housewife YouTube videos, retrospective, all that other things you can see of other nerd shows of the time that were popular, but it was bigger than most of them. You know, it lasted eight seasons. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was the 
behind the picture, perfect suburbia for women's lives or anything by but idyllic, high drama, high soap opera content. I, I'd say it's probably the best soap opera you could ever get. Like if mm. you want a good soap opera, I think this is as good as you can get and still yeah. have it be soap opera-y. Yeah, because it's a soap opera that knows it's a soap opera mm -hmm. and it, it kind of fucks around with that. Yeah. It's a satire. Sorry, that's the only <laughs> exactly. thing I know. Of. That's what Mark Cherry screamed in Arrested Development uh, oh. about Desperate Housewives during a protest because they both worked on the Golden Girls together. We learned that last week. Uh, mm -hmm. oh. And Make It or Break It ends on ABC Family. I've never heard of that show. Three seasons. It's about an Olympic gymnast team, uh, which if you know about Olympic gymnasts they're usually pretty young so they're going after the like tween and high school mm -hmm. except you're trying to be in the olympics good family mm -hmm. fun if my daughter was into gymnastics i'd definitely show it to her but she's really into swimming so anyone knows a swimming tv show please let me know john cheever's the swimmer birth lancaster that's gonna depress her uh, <laughs> that's not good for kids uh what's the movie about where the alligator eats all those people in the house um she's a swimmer <laughs> And <laughs> this is all I can think of right now. And then uh, Special Agent Oso ends on Disney Junior. Baby Junior's first spy show. It's uh, like a penguin's a spy and a polar bear's a spy. And they go on uh, kid-friendly spy adventures. Triple cross one another all the while. Who do you think you are ends on NBC? This lasted 10 seasons. What? It's basically asking oh, famous right. people, who are your ancestors? And when it started, DNA ancestry wasn't really a thing. Mm -hmm. But by the final seasons, they were uh, doing DNA tests on people. But yeah, yeah, the human condition is very wide and deep. Have either of you had DNA tests done? Hell no. Okay. I don't, I don't, uh, I some of my relatives have. Everybody I know who's done it, it just reveals, like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't <laughs> want to know what disease I have. I don't know what's, I don't want to know about my secret family. I don't want to know. <laughs> so both me and my wife did it. My family's been in America for a long time, did the Oregon Trail, in fact. And uh, we were wondering, you know, maybe there's some Native American in there. Nope. 80% English, Irish, Scottish, and Welsh. A little bit German. Oddly enough, 1% North African, which what? nothing in the family history Combo to suggest breaker. why. My wife got the test done. She is 99% Ashkenazi Jewish. And yeah. the 1% was Native American. Hmm. And we are fairly certain that's a typographical error. <laughs> But I have conducted a fictional history. Yeah, never know. Yeah, you I, I've, I've liked, I've watched. Uh, Who do you think you are? It's, it's always interesting because people's backgrounds always go in there's the craziest fucking places. I prefer finding your roots on PBS because mm -hmm. they go way more in depth. Right. You know, they usually like on Who do you think you are? They'd kind of find like one guy that was interesting and find out. And this guy, it turns out he fought for the union, and you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. As opposed to, <laughs> I can't remember who it was, but there was someone who was like almost executed by George Washington for sedition. It's like, <laughs> oh shit, that's kind of a bad thing to have in your background. Yeah, you find out all kinds of crazy shit. I, I love shows like that. Mm. And uh, lastly, for television, it's the 10-year anniversary of me not watching Tron Uprising and its debuts on Disney XD. I hear it's great. I hear it's great, too. It's, mm -hmm. It looks amazing. It is one of those stylized animation shows mm -hmm. where I'm just, like, jealous 
that I'm not a young kid who yeah. got to grow up with amazing animation I and so. had to grow up with crappy He-Man and G.I. Joe yeah. cartoons when there's yeah. just gorgeous stuff out there today. I bought some of the toys. They look so cool because I am a fan of Tron. And if you've been listening to the show, Tron came back in a really big way 10 years ago. Movies, multiple video games and multiple systems, multiple stories, comic books. And this show is the last thing that's ever happened 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, other than... I would say a billion dollars in roller coasters. I don't know why Disney doesn't want to produce Tron content, but is currently building a Tron roller coaster to match its one in Shanghai over here in Florida. But uh, they are. I I, I just love the aesthetic of Tron. Can be hit or miss, I admit. Video games of 2012, Battleship is out on all the popular platforms. Hell yeah. Uh, It's a horrible 3D shooter about three hours long. And other than the original battleship game the only good variant on the battleship game is battle shots have you ever played battle shots no so it's like battleship except you line up shot glasses instead of uh (laughs) ships and when you land on the other person you have to take the shot okay that's, that sounds like a lot of fucking shots. That should be shots of beer. Much bigger video game news. Diablo 3 is on Windows. The anxiously awaited Diablo 3. I cannot believe it's been 10 years since the last Diablo, once again. Yeah, I, I really feel 2012 is like a turning point for graphics. I think 8 and 16 bra- bit graphics can still have a bit of charm, mm-hmm. but the polygonal graphics from 1995 to 2010, they kind of just jar on me. Mm-hmm. But looking at this game, I still think it looks damn good. Yeah. I th- still think you can play this and not view it as archaic. It it looks real fun. Obviously, when it first came out, the auction house was a huge controversy, but I never played it. When it first came out, I waited until years afterwards, so mm-hmm. I never had that so experience. You, you, you with couldn't it. play it when it first came out. It, the servers were stuck. Diana, they, they saw that people were, uh, you know, selling accounts and like, uh, you know, Chinese gold farmers were out there like, making Uh. so they're like well why don't we just create an in-game auction house where people can sell their and like after Mm -hmm. a couple years like wow this completely changed people's motivation for playing and kind of fucked up the game like the in the long the long term and they closed it all down it's an interesting experiment i hope somebody does like a full documentary about Ooh, Hmm. i'd watch that Yeah. yeah And uh, we got Game of Thrones on Windows, PS3, and PS360. I don't know which Game of Thrones this was. There were so several bad Game of Thrones games. So this is the RPG. Ah. Um, ah. I was going to say, is it the Telltale one? Because I saw that. Mm-hmm. And that was um, no. like Telltale one's just not that interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> decent. I wouldn't say it's amazing, but there's not a lot of great Game of Thrones games out there, which I is a shame. I would say there's none. <laughs> mm. But... I will say that George R.R. Martin does make a cameo in this game. Gross. Well, that is certainly a unique approach. I have not been fair to your tireless quill. Please forgive me. So when can we hope to see your completed masterpiece? I already told you. Next year. (laughs) He says that every year. It's funny because it's never going to happen. He still hasn't finished any of those. It, I, I like I don't know I saw some meme about it like it was a Simpsons meme it's just like oh, we got a Game of Thrones prequel trailer he's like I don't care about that anymore yeah I, I'm so far <laughs> yeah. beyond <laughs> I don't care about that anymore 
I'll, I'll care when the book comes out, if it ever does. I, I love the book series. I read it before the TV show. I'm still excited to see how the books ends, but it did really crunch my enjoyment for it. If, if the final season had been good, I probably would go back to this game mm-hmm. and give it a shot. Meh. But I, I just had no desire to. Yeah. We also have Dragon's Lair Connect. Have you ever wanted to push four buttons by holding your arms in a certain motion? Hooray. And, uh... You know, uh, it's, basic, it's a classic, but it's not a good game. It's no. the first <laughs> quick time game. And if you were in an arcade in the 1980s, it would blow you away. But, you know, for my son who can play Cuphead, it's not that amazing. Yeah. It's just boring. I've seen kids semi recently like wow what the fuck is this and like it's just too hard to play because there's nothing really to play you just have to memorize what button out of four to hit at any moment and if you miss you get to see a nice death scene but the real the great game from this period that i think people forget is max Payne 3 the last max Payne game i think they're coming back through backwards compatibility or some remaster but this game is excellent it's it's one of the best games a lot of people don't talk about, but and 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 hides its load times with cutscenes and like that is the only acceptable cutscene in my opinion most of the time <laughs> hiding the load times. But a great serious slow motion shooter shooting gallery, it's just fun, man. Max Payne three rules and uh, was hoping to see more from the series and we didn't. But that is about it for our show. Remember, you can support us at patreon.com slash laser time and you got extra Conan and listener content coming your way uh, very soon. Di, where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at Lecinenerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Oh, good Lord. Coming up next week, we got a lot to talk about oh, no. again. We have part threes of Men in Black and Alien. <laughs> uh, uh. Actually, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I can't wait. I can't wait. I have not revisited Alien 3 in 30 years. And we have 30 years of David Venture that we can cover. Also, we have Tom Cruise's terrible Irish accent. Ah. Yay! Uh, you, we never say, we never do this, but we should probably watch the theatrical version of Alien 3. Yeah. So I think there's why? multiple That's why cuts. I try to do. I try to watch what was available at the Because there's multiple, the, the, the movie's a behind the scenes fiasco. There are different cuts of it. There's been so many different cuts of every Aliens movie. Um, I get it. I don't know if I agree. I feel like you're better off watching the best version you can, even if that wasn't available. Yeah, but 30, 20, in this case, ago. there is no director's cut. The director does not want to be involved uh, with restoring. Okay. Because it's it's a fucking mess, Alien Three. It is so bizarre and and cruel to do to one of the what could have been one of the best series in cinema history. But but I, I but I do like things about it, so I I, I can't wait to rewatch it. Yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting, and I haven't seen Men in Black Three. It's good, so we'll see. <laughs> if every, I mean, everybody loves Will Smith still, right? Um, for... <laughs> is there a reason why maybe I wouldn't <laughs> and uh, JR where can people find you at they can find me on the Twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S with that other way we gotta tell you who died during this period okay well in 1992 we lost football player slash actor Lyle Alzado he was 43 43 brain cancer and he says Ooh. that anabolic steroid use might have contributed he was very oh. outspoken about the abuse of anabolic anabolic steroids back in the day we also lost lawrence welk who's 89 who i guess is the last person we can say band leader was his job <laughs> lawrence welk if you want to know why rock and roll exists mm. 
if you ever watch sometimes like on pbs or local stations like late on weekends they'll run old lawrence welk shows lawrence welk show ran for 30 fucking years wow. and it's a variety Jesus. show for people your grandparents thought were boring <laughs> it is hilarious you get a lot of really great 60s and 70s hair and the saddest excuses for entertainment you've ever seen Oh. Then 2002, we lost cartoonist Dave Berg of the lighter side of for Man uh, Magazine. Uh, he was 81. Yeah, he kind of drew himself into the comics. Or maybe that's my headcanon. I believe he did. He's the guy with the pipe uh, in a lot of the lighter side. I loved Mad Magazine. Mm. Yep. And then in 2012, we lost Donna Summer, the queen of disco, who's wow. only 63. And uh, Donald Duck Dunn, who was 70. He was in Booker T and the MGs and the Blues Brothers uh, Band. Blues Brothers Band. Yes. Yeah. I know, I'll never forget that shout out. And then with that out of the way, it's the Bubba Bubba Birthday Quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly do, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong do. Oh, May 14th, 1944 in Modesto, California. I know who it is. What? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. So it's Christian Lucas. It is. Uh, what? <laughs> okay. So behind <laughs> the scenes, everybody. I got Let's decimated. Tweet. Hold on. By a date in a place. In a place. Now, yeah, here's, it's the place. Yeah, I knew the place is going to do it. So here's the backstory. You know, JR has only won once in like 19 weeks. <laughs> that, and that was a week, trouncing. <laughs> and last week he asked me, hey, do you want me to take over the birthday quiz next week? Mm-hmm. And I had to stop because I knew George Lucas would be next. And I knew he'd get it because he was such an Indiana Jones fanboy as a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I had to come up with an excuse to not let him do it <laughs> so he could go out on top. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. The streak is broken. And then I have to play against Diana? That's going to be fucking hard. Yeah. Can I read what we were yes. talking about? Yeah, George yeah, Lucas yeah. coming out for his birthday. You know, we had to tackle the clothes. Uh, born, yeah, May 14, 1944, Modesto, California. His dad owned a stationery store. His family were at Disneyland during opening week. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. He was there uh, on the second driving, day. I knew that. Like driving and filming drag racing till he was in a really bad accident that mm-hmm. almost killed him. Went to film school where he was roommates with Randall Kleiser, the guy who directed Grease. Uh, He tried to join the Air Force, but was rejected for having too many speeding tickets. (laughs) Then he was later drafted, but rejected due to having diabetes. He was one of the camera operators on Gimme Shelter. Another thing I did not know. Didn't know that. That's crazy that he was at Altamont. That's that's weird. And then Scorsese was, uh, I think, a camera camera operator at Woodstock. Wow. So they have stuff to talk about. Uh, he went to grad school. He met his future wife working for film editor Verna Fields. Got a scholarship from Warner Brothers to work on any of their movies. And he picked Finian's Rainbow, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Mm. And that's how they met. And movies of his we've talked about are Star Wars episodes one and two. As a producer, Labyrinth, Howard the Duck, Willow, Tucker, A Man in His Dream, The Land Before Time, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Star Wars Clone Wars, and Red Tails. What about Akira Kurosawa's Dreams? Hagamusha and Akira Kurosawa's Dreams. Are both and, 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 did we talk about Radio Days? Never mind. Maybe we didn't. Radio Land Murders is coming. Radio Land Murders. Okay. <laughs> Radio, Radio Days is the Woody Allen one. They both have like the exact yeah. same poster. Yeah. So... Happy 78th birthday, George Lucas. George, if you haven't heard Sick of Star Wars on Patreon.com slash LazerTime, I just love saying this. George Lucas is a genius no matter how mad you are at him. He's a wonderful I, guy. I think I have the fan letter I wrote to him and his response to it back in 1993. Did he? So, uh, yeah. Is it a form I, uh, letter? or is it, he, it was written by his secretary, and his secretary said he read my letter gushing about the young indiana jones chronicles so Ah. my hope is that 
he received so few letters from people gushing about the young Indiana Jones Chronicles that he did actually read mine. Wow. We got one. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody saw it. But all right, you'll have to wait till another episode to hear more George Lucas talk or patreon.com slash laser time. Thank you guys for listening. We're going to close out with uh, Breaking the Girl by the Red Hot Chili Peppers because it is on the charts this week in 1992. Although I put this in there not realizing we had Donna, Donna Summer. Do we want to go out with some Donna Summer? Fuck yeah, we'll go out with Donna Summer. Last Dance? We like Last Dance? I like whatever you yeah. like then. Academy Award winning song, that song. Hell yeah. Last Dance from, by Donna from Summer. From It's Friday, which everyone should watch because Jeff Goldblum's in it and it's a disco movie. Fuck yeah. 30 2010, Donna Summer, J.R. Rawls, Diana Goodman, Chris, whatever. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.